speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 42 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, we are moving into season three of The Adventures of Superman. And, starting with season three... The show got a makeover. It's in color now. Woohoo! And to help me out with this one, hey, I'm welcoming back Bob Fisher. Why, Mike? Thanks for welcoming me back. It's fun to be back. And happy color episodes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's more than just the color changes with these episodes, beginning right here. The whole attitude of the show changes. Yes, it really does. And... The very first 30 seconds of the very first episode lets you know, well, this is different. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I'm here. I am here this evening, afternoon, morning, whenever, lovely listeners, you have your earbuds plugged in, headphones turned on. Uh, I'm here because not that the, these episodes we're going to talk about tonight are necessarily my favorite episodes, but I wanted to welcome you to the color episodes. I wanted to be here because this is really kind of like a whole new season, a whole new series, if you would, not just a season, but a whole new series and uh, a beginning for the characters. Same actors. We've still got all the same guys. We got George. We got Noel. We got Jack. We got John. We got Robert. They're all back. And they're in color. Well, they're in shades of blue, brown, and gray. Right. But they are in color. They are in color. They are. They're... Uh, so... Well, there will be a lot of red in Time Barrier. A lot of red in Time Barrier. With the overall hue, everything <laughs> is blue. There's a blue everything, and then the red, particularly red and Superman's red, and there's some red in the uh, other stuff, and it, and it pops. I was that referring really, to Perry really Long John's. And oh yeah, Perry's long shots. <laughs> yeah, that's a great scene. <laughs> so, uh, but the attitude, and I'm sure you're going to get into this, Mike. That the attitude really does change. Yes, it does. As, as as we said in some of the second season episodes, they were black and white, and we started to get a little bit of a, uh, an attitude change there. Yeah, we got a lot lighter in season two, and we did get a lot lighter. Season one really stands out on its own really season one you could just put over here as an entity unto itself yeah it's very true and that's exactly how it was it was filmed it was put in a can it sat on a shelf for a year and a half and then everybody got back together and uh with the exception of phyllis Coates. Right. and but things did change with producers directors other things changed in season two but now you get to season three and color and attitude, everything is different. But it's not like, I don't want to make it sound like right off the bat that we're saying, okay, now we switch to color, all these episodes suck. They really don't. No, there, are, really don't. there are some good ones in here. 
and we're going to get to some good ones in the in the very you know near future and right you know it's not going to be long before we get to some really good episodes so lovely listeners stay tuned forever to man of screen podcast starring mike zumo Woo. Yeah, and bob fisher on occasion <laughs> semi-regular right adventures of superman co-host i will say this for about the past 36 weeks mm-hmm. between the first half of this series in black and white and the kirk allen serials Right. I've been watching black and white Superman. Yes, you have. It is absolutely jarring seeing him in color now all of a sudden. (laughs) Right, right. Because you have had a steady diet of black and white Superman. That's true. I haven't uh, watched any color since the Fleischers. And uh, now, you know, they are doing a color palette here. This is not like real world true color. It is color of the time period and and how they, you know, were trying to figure it out. And I think one of the interesting things that we'll see as the series progresses over the next few seasons of the color episodes, you'll see the blue, particularly in Superman's costume, will change colors through as the series progresses through seasons three, four, five, and six. Because they're still toying with it because while the episodes were filmed, these are not colorized uh, I saw somebody ask this on Facebook just this week, who is just coming to to the Superman shows and doesn't really know the history and stuff, right. and asked if these were colorized. No, they're not colorized. They, they were, were shot filmed. in color. Exactly. 35 millimeter film color, okay? And the techniques that they use, these, these are color, but were not aired in the 50s in color. So they were still being broadcast in black and white even though they were colors. So once they started looking at the costume, particularly in black and white that was shot in color, they realized that they needed to make some changes in the blue so that there was a little more contrast between the red and blue. Because in black and white, if you take a color print and just change it to black and white, there's not a lot of distinction between the red and the blue, just right. they're different close shades of dark gray. So uh, they toyed with the color of Superman's blue throughout the the four seasons of color. They made it lighter. They made it lighter, which was too bad. I personally like uh, this and the fourth season. I think those are my two favorite color, uh, two favorite versions of the color uh, suit. The dark blue suit. Yeah, the dark blue suit with the bright red cape and boots uh, and trunks. It's just, it really, really looks good. And in one of the episodes we're going to talk about tonight, they do a real nice little, it's a thing where a guy pulls a gun again and shoots at Superman, but they do a close-up on the S, uh, and it just fills the screen. And it's a real nice, you can see the nice detail of the stitching and the whole thing on it on a big screen. So it's real nice. So there's some real fun stuff in the color episodes and i just don't want people to discount who would think well i got the first season on dvd i don't really need to yeah yeah if you're a superman fan you should really figure out how to at least watch these you know once personally i think you should go ahead and buy them they're not that expensive anymore i think you can probably pick them up for like ten dollars a season now right if you know so i'm gonna warn the listener now we are going to describe a lot of these episodes probably as silly uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. But silly does not necessarily mean bad. Thank you. Thank you. There is a difference. Yeah, they, they are silly. And I think it's interesting because sometimes people will almost use some of the stuff that happens in these shows to call the Silver Age silly. It's like they forget. Well, this was what was going on. And the audience, there's no doubt now that 
first season was put on as a serious crime adventure, and it was geared towards adults. Second season, some of the same themes, but even though it was black and white, it was shot totally different. It was shot as, uh, you know, a little lighter. This season, we're starting to aim this sucker at kids. And uh, as the seasons progress, it gets more and more almost a Saturday morning show. Although it never was. In reruns, they might have aired it there or whatever. But in most of the time, in first-run broadcast, it still aired primetime television at 8 p.m. on either Monday or Tuesday night across the United States. Then in reruns in the 60s, I think 1962, 63, 64, I forgot. Uh, but when they started the reruns and put it into syndication in the early 60s. According to the DVD, yes, the, the uh, feature right on the DVD. Uh-huh. It aired in co- it actually aired in color for the first time in 1965. 65, interesting, interesting. Okay, good because I remember watching them in reruns in the uh, uh, 60s, um, but we had a black and white set, so I still would not have known right. if they were in color or not. So, uh, but that's a, okay. Good statistics. So it was 65 where they actually broadcast them for the first time in co- in in color in reruns, uh, and. I think to a large degree, we can thank, you know, the, the longevity, not necessarily the success, but the longevity of this series, uh, because they were smart enough to know that even though they weren't going to broadcast them originally in the 50s in color, because there were just not that many color sets, and the price was a little too uh, high, but they went ahead and shot them in color. And I think because they're in color, a lot of stations will now carry them that will not carry other shows from the 50s in the right. same time period, except, you know, me, TV and other show other stations. I think that's another thing for some of us older, uh, you know, uh, as baby boomers. There are some networks out there, cable networks and your local additional networks, me, TV, Comet TV, Antenna TV, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that are showing old shows from the 50s and 60s. But I think that before cable exploded, when shows wanted reruns, this one stayed alive because it was color and it was Superman. I mean, you know, not even I Love Lucy was shot in color. No. So Jackie Gleason was not shot in color. None of the the, the primetime uh, variety shows of Jack Benny, Ed right. Sullivan. I mean, you go down the list, nothing was shot in color. And the Desilu Studios and the guys in charge here, I think, were brilliant to say, we're going to shoot it in color. So, there you go, a law history. Yes. Hey! Now, there, there were some drawbacks to shooting in color. Oh, really? What were they? Well, one, it was ridiculously expensive. <laughs> yes, it was. And, uh, which is why we only see basically like four, fl- four flying shots for most of the color episodes. Yes, but they are good flying shots. Or at least, I, you know, the one, the, the long shot where he's either flying most of the time from right to left in the buildings right. behind him and stuff. That's one of the better pan shots where he's laying on something because you don't see the pan. Right. You don't see the flat chest. The, they, they really disguise it really, really well. Uh, but you're right. Most of the time we're going to see that shot left or right. We're going to see the zooming where it starts out at about – trunks uh, yeah. uh to his hands where then it zooms in to shoulder and face going left or right and even as a kid that was the first time i re- realized hey they just flipped that backwards right 
it's obvious when they zoom in on him, the right. ass is backwards. <laughs> but uh, anyway, you're right. They only used a handful of flying scenes. No more. The, he doesn't fly to or away from the camera anymore. No, not at all. And no more wires. No more being lifted. It is. But this, he starts spending more time. Uh, George Reeves as the actor off camera, port, you know, uh, uh, planning and, and and all of the stuff actors do. George spent uh, a lot of time with the stunt people working out takeoffs and landings so that uh, because everybody knew at that point, we're going to use these set. We're going to have three, four different flying scenes pre-shot. And those are it. We're going to use all of those. And uh, the only thing that will be different per episode will be the windows he jumps in and out of. And uh, so George worked a lot on his takeoffs and landings here. He wanted a lot of height when he was coming in. He wanted his legs straight and kick kind of like in the Lucy episode. Right. But he wants a lot of air. And some of the great pictures and some books, I'd love, I wish they had shot some, some film of, of these from behind the camera. But there are some stills of him, you know, on step ladders, uh, holding on to bars as he swings in and and uh we get a big crash through tonight in tonight's episode yes we do so uh and a boulder lifting so you know yes we do they're doing some stuff uh that they have to do within a budget but all of those things because it's color and now that they've changed the script the way it's being shot more studio shots, more close-ups, more, you know, you're not going to see a lot of cars and people and background scenes and traffic and except in still shots or, or, I mean, not still shots, stock <clears throat> kind of stuff. So, um, but anyway, yeah. So yeah. that, that, that's pretty, that's pretty much it. And the first one they start off with, as I said, which I think is interesting that within 30 seconds of the first episode called through the time barrier, it's a comic bit. It is. With Jimmy Olsen and the then the great Sterling Holloway. Right. The cost is the reason they knocked it down to thirteen episodes. Right. Because the four C the four color seasons have the same number of episodes as the two black and white right. seasons combined. So And especially they ate a lot of cost between the second and third seasons. These sets had to be redone. These sets were created for black and white. Exactly. So they really had to do all of it, even though it, it's basically the same layout. It looks the same. They are redone for color. Right. But they did use a, a color palette. I just think that is interesting that instead of, you know, trying for, you know, the like movies were doing of the time, going for that extra real technicolor, right. you know, where the colors were all so bright and color. They kind of went with a blue palette overall. With other colors, hardly any green in this sucker. There's just, it's almost all blue. And I wonder if that aided them or hurt them with some of the the uh, matting scenes where George's, the flying scenes or something. I don't know what they would have done, why they chose, uh, I mean, everything. The dresses Lois is wearing right. is blue. Jimmy Olsen is wearing a blue tweed suit with a baby blue color vest right uh clark kent's outfit is a grayish blue perry is in a dark blue gray something gray. Else I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to keep an eye on i always thought the the blinds in perry's office were green i was surprised to see they were blue uh, blue i don't know why i thought they were green color was off on something on something i watched once 
Uh, it's possible. Back in the old days, you know, I was watching, I told you before we started, I popped in the disc one today and just kind of after I watched the episodes we're talking about, I kind of let it run and Superman week comes on is also on the first disc. And, uh, they do a thing where he, you, they're watching Superman on TV. Yeah. And I happened to look at the, no, I was watching the knobs and I'm thinking, that's right. Old TVs. You've got the knob on the left turns the TV on or off and controls the volume. The knob on the right changes channels and has a little ring around the channel selector that you could kind of fine-tune the the frequency in to get a better picture sometimes. And that was it with, with rabbit ear antennas. Yeah. They got a pretty good black and white picture on their TV. On Clark's TV. <laughs> oh, that's right. It was Clark's TV, right? Because I remember Jimmy asked him, asked Clark, what, <laughs> yeah. they could go to, they could have the key to his place so they could watch it on his TV. <laughs> right. So Clark right. had a high-end TV at that point. <laughs> right. Look for that secret closet while you're there. If you wanted, if you thought the TV was going to fool them. Anyway, very good. Let's not skip ahead. But see, listeners, what you have to look forward to. That's next Many, week. many good episodes. Actually, I haven't watched that one yet. I watched The Lucky Cat last night. Oh, yeah. Lucky Cat was on. That's pretty fun, too. Yeah. Uh, they're all very watchable. You get some smiles out of them. It's... I like that episode, but the concept of that club is absolutely ridiculous. Oh, of course it is. Of course it is. And Superman, or Clark Kent at one point, actually says, uh, I wish we could wipe out superstition entirely from the face of the earth. Yeah, I remember that. I'm thinking, well, hey, now, some superstitions are fun. Never sweep your porch on Sunday. I mean, you know, there's so many fun ones. I don't know. Go ahead. All right. We're really getting off the track, and we haven't even started the show yet. Yeah. So let's. Well, we <laughs> we had to we had to intro color. <laughs> All right. We had to intro the new era. This really is a new era, and yeah, it's going to be fun. You're you're going to have some fun fun stuff. Again, keep in mind this is uh, a little different. Yes. A little different. All right, so why don't we take a break, and uh, we'll come back with Through the Time Barrier. Sounds like a plan. All right, hang around, folks. My name is Bob Fisher, and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it, from 1938 to the present day, from the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons... Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years, and if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com In 1954, Superman went color. Now, although there were only a few thousand television sets in this country capable of receiving color, the producers had the foresight to film the next Superman episodes in color, and it certainly was a marked difference in the series. In 1954, we filmed 13 episodes. The first one was Through the Time Barrier. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into Through the Time Barrier. I'm still here. Oh, good. That, that's good. You, 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 you haven't been lost in time at all, right? Not yet, but 
I do have some Carborium X, so I can get through if I really need to. I, I'll, I'll be okay. Well, that that's good because in more modern terms, I won't have to bring out the hashtag, damn it, Barry. <laughs> no, no, no. That was actually pretty funny when uh, right. Supergirl in a Flash costume kind of thing. That was pretty funny. Damn it, Barry. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Okay, go right. ahead. So, original broadcast date was April 23rd, 1955. Yay, I was three. Writer was David Chandler, and director is Harry Gerstad. I believe Harry Gerstad replaces Tommy Carr. Yes, he does. And you're going to see that's a name you'll be saying a lot. Yeah, he does the next one, too. And I believe yeah. he'll do He does a few of these early season three episodes. Mm-hmm. I believe it's going to be, for most part, it's going to be him and uh, George Blair. Right. And Chandler will be doing a lot of the writing. Yes. And I don't think it's this week, but I believe next week his wife comes on. Yeah. I think I think his wife Peggy does Superman week. That's that. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. So the guest cast includes Sterling Holloway as Professor Twiddle. He is not he was not gonna be Uncle Oscar this time. Not this time. Uh Professor Twiddle. And um I had to look it up. It, uh, the first comic I ever read, Superman number forty three from nineteen forty six, had uh the first story in it was uh about a professor and I thought his name was Twiddle, so I looked it up today and it was Thwistle. So very close, but Sterling Holloway. Before you go on to other uh, all yep, the other cast members, Sterling Holloway is is brilliant. Is a great, great, great character actor. And I just noticed today, and my wife walked by and was on. She goes, "Oh, Sterling Holloway! Look how young he looks!" And even at this point, he's probably in his mid to late forties when he did this but sterling holloway i just want you guys out there to uh if you if you're not familiar with him if you only know sterling holloway through either uh his appearances here or as we mentioned earlier the voice of winnie the pooh look him up go to go to the movie database or imdb and look up sterling holloway and find some of the early mgm those wonderful old MGM, both musicals and comedies and romance and just those big budget Hollywood movies. You will find Sterling Holloway all throughout those playing everything from the soda fountain. Uh, I was going to say bartender, but he's not a bartender. It's a soda fountain, jer- the fountain guy to a soldier guy to a guy's best friend. But he's everywhere in those movies from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And he's just absolutely <clears throat> brilliant. So I don't want to bore you all with Sterling Holloway, but do yourself a favor. Look up Sterling Holloway. He's just terrific. Okay. That was my plug for Sterling Holloway. And he's Professor Twiddle. Yes, the Adventures of Superman employed him as an eccentric scientist for his three appearances. Yes. As we said before, they have three basic types of of scientists. And uh, we have the Professor Potter type. We have, uh, you know, the goofy professor whose things always go wrong or don't work but cause problems. The professor that does work but causes problems like this one. Right. Where he's a little, you know, and then the mind machine and... Or, or the the the, could pl- the machine that could plot crimes, right? Or that kind of stuff. Or the scientist that Superman goes to when he needs help to stop a meteor in Panic in the Sky, split into two people, and to conquer the mysterious cube, get through that kind. 
So we've got Sterling Holloway this time playing kind of the goofy, absent-minded professor right. who invents a time machine to go back through time. Yes, and we'll get to what he didn't do later. <laughs> yeah, that's why I stopped there, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> right. J- James Highland is Turk Jackson. Another Flo- good actor. Yes, Florence Lake is Lana the Cavewoman. Oh. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure that's actually her name, but I, I believe Perry does, just calls her that. Right. And Ed Hinton is the caveman. Mm. He was a very well-groomed caveman. Very well-groomed caveman. <laughs> and, now our, and now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Your number one source for Superman on the web. Daily Planet reporters Lois Lane, Clark Kent, and Jimmy Olsen are, with editor Perry White, awaiting the arrival of Metropolis crime boss Turk Jackson. He has to sign a confession for Clark in order to turn himself over to the authorities. As Jimmy guards the chief's office door, eccentric inventor Professor Twiddle wants to see Kent about an important discovery. Are you looking for someone? Yes, yes, yes. How did you guess? Oh, I just put two and two together, and the answer came out in Mr. Kent. Oh, he's exactly the young chap I must see. Well, maybe you must, but you can't. He's inside in a very important conference. Young man, nothing in the world is more important than this. This is the answer to everything. Hey, will it tell me how to get a raise? Better than that. It will fix things so you won't need one. (laughs) Thanks, but the chief already suggested that. He told me to go jump off a bridge. Yes. Well, why don't you go do that while I see Mr. Kent? I'm sorry, but you're really going to have to come back later. Young man, some of us may never come back. After Twiddle leaves, Turk arrives. Oh, I'm sorry, but you can't go in there. Who says I can't? It must have been me. You know, in the good old days, I have a smart punk like you fitted for a pair of cement pajamas. Cement pajamas? Yeah, for a long sleep at the bottom of the river. It's funny, but everybody seems to want me in the river these days. Well, it figures. Come on, get out of here. No, look, I've got my orders. Look, your orders have just been changed, kid. Oh, uh, you must be Turk Jackson. Right as rain. We've been expecting you. Go right in. Turk Jackson? Yeah, who do you think I am, Little Red Riding Hood? Who's them? Well, them, as you so neatly phrase it, are Miss Lane and Mr. White, our editor. Oh. Okay, okay, let's get it over with. First, let me ask you a question, Turk. Now, you've ruled a gangster empire for 20 years. Now, all of a sudden, you decide to turn yourself into me. Why? Well, my luck was running out. It's just a matter of time, see? So I figured I'd get a better deal if I turned myself in. Why not go directly to the police? Because this way, I got guarantees. Kent's got a lot of respect in this town. The DA guarantees him that I'll get a square deal. So I get a square deal. Otherwise, I haven't got a chance. You don't deserve much of a chance. Forget it, Lois. I've had this confession typed up exactly as you gave it to me over the phone. Read it and sign it, and we're on our way. He writes his name on the confession before leaving the planet staff to go to police headquarters. The group then meets Professor Twiddle in the elevator. Hello, everyone. I've been waiting for you. So, what? Yes. You see, I am Professor Twiddle. I am a scientist. So, what? Now, wait, please. I know who you are, too. You are Turk Jackson. You are a gangster. Well, I'm sorry, Professor, but you see, we don't have time. Time? That's just the point. I've conquered it. With this little machine. Well, that's very nice, Professor. Now, why don't you run home and bury it in your backyard? Hold it. Where I'm going, there ain't going to be many laughs. 
Go ahead, Prof. Tell us about your time gimmick. Yes. Well, you see, it's really very simple. You just pick out the period in history that you'd like to go back to, and I turn this dial, flick this switch, and <laughs> back we go. You're not trying to back out of our deal, are you, Turk? I told you, this is strictly for laughs. Go ahead, Prof. Give it a try. Delighted. Pick your age. I'll take any age before paper was discovered. Well, I think I'd like to go back to where it all started. Prehistoric times. It is not a bad idea. Prehistoric. That's when there are no cops. And I could have the whole territory all to myself. What about that, Professor? Back to the days of the caveman. Yes, that would be 50,000 B.C. Well, everybody ready? Yes. Then, here we go. I did it. I did it. That's the understatement of the year. Yes, but of what year? 50,000 B.C., like the prof said. Cheapers, I should have left a note for my mother. Professor, I know this whole thing is foolish, but apparently you did get us here. You've got to get us back. Oh, yes. Um, Mr. Kent, now, I don't want to alarm you, but I'm afraid that I have spent so much time on the process of getting us here that I have neglected the reverse process. Oh, that's all right, Professor. I kind of like it here. But I'll figure it out. All I need is one certain kind of metal. Great Caesar's ghost! What sort of metal? Well, you can't say Great Caesar's ghost anymore, Chief. He wasn't even born yet. Yes. Having traded his watch to the caveman and woman for prehistoric clothing, Turk seems to be making the most of his time in the year 50,000 B.C. Hey, kid, come here. Me? Yeah. Listen, this is going to make history someday, especially when them archaeologist guys get digging around. So I want you to put out a newspaper. A newspaper? Well, that's fine, except we'll need two things. News and the paper. Well, I'm news and how I'm taking over. And as for the paper, you got rocks, ain't you? Yes, sir. Especially in my head. Okay, back in a cave and start setting up housekeeping. If there isn't a spare room for me, chew one out of the rock, will you, Turk? Just a minute, Kent. What's the matter? I hate to do this, but if the professor finds that metal, I don't want him to be able to use it, so I'll take the box. Well, I'm very sorry, Turk, but I'm going to keep charge of this. You see, you might never want to go back, but the rest of us do. Give me the box. This guy doesn't know when he's knocked out. Clark, he hit you. I saw him. Boss, will you please let me alone? Oh, no. Somebody has to look after you, and it looks like I'm elected. Come on. Everyone is desperate to get back to present-day Metropolis. Well, it all may seem like a bad dream, but it's not. It actually passed the time barrier. Yes, but only in one direction, backwards. How do you spell Neanderthal? If you can't spell, you've no business being on a newspaper. Professor, have you anything to say for the four-star final? Oh, uh, yes, you may quote me. Even science can backfire. Oh, if I only had my calculations. You see, I left them in my office. Sir. If only Superman were here. Well, Jimmy, I'm not so sure even Superman could be of much help now. Jeepers. No more Saturday afternoons at the ballpark. No more of those headaches at the office. I never thought I'd miss them. Mm. Yes, it certainly makes you appreciate the little things you've always taken for granted. Okay, where's the girl? In the other cave. 
Hey, woman, come in. Hey, get. Turk has brought animal skins for everyone to wear except Clark. Well, <laughs> not bad. Not bad at all. <laughs> You look very charming, my dear. Gee, where did you get the woolies? I catch cold very easily. Who would have ever believe that beneath the classy exterior of the most distinguished editor in Metropolis reposed such an area of plain old red flannel? It kind of humanizes him, doesn't it? <laughs> I've had better mobs, but I guess you'll do. Isn't anyone going to stand up to this hoodlum? Don't anybody ever try. Oh, yes. Now look, I don't care what you do to me. But I want my time machine back. Mr. Kent says you have it. It's perfectly all right, Professor. Don't get out of line, you understand? Oh, don't be ridiculous. It's mine. I want it. Watch it, Professor. Watch what? Oh, you wouldn't dare shoot me. Someday you may want to get out of here, and I am your only hope. Stand back, and the next time I'll... You fool. The vibration of that shot caused a cave-in. What are we going to do? Got to get out of here. We'll never be able to get out of here. Well, like I always say, the lust for power leads to its own destruction. Do something. Somebody do something. There's nothing we can do. Well, perhaps there is something we can do. I guess it doesn't matter who knows now. Wait, I smell something. I know that odor. It's coal gas. The same kind that seeps into mines in the 20th century. Well, at least it'll make it quicker. Clark, you said maybe there was something to be done. For heaven's sakes, whatever it is, do it now. Well, uh, I'm sorry, Lois. I guess I was just talking to keep our spirits up. Clark, I feel dizzy. So do I. I guess this is it. While they're unconscious, Superman smashes through the rocks, barricading the cave's entrance. The primitive man and woman see him do this before he returns to his guise as Clark Kent to pretend to be knocked down by the gas. The Stone Age people use sign language to draw an, and draw an S on the ground to tell them of the caped hero's arrival. Clark, Lois, Jimmy, and Turk go on a search for Superman, while Perry begs Professor Twiddle to not leave him alone with the amorous cavewoman. Turk Jackson, in an attempt to control the primitive people of 50,000 B.C., has drawn an S on his pelt and called himself Stone Age. <coughs> Jimmy also is watching his antics from behind some trees. Turk makes fire with his lighter and chips away a piece of rock with a bullet fired from his gun. Lois Lane and Clark Kent are searching for Superman. While Lois rests, Clark moves on so he can become Superman. Superman, we've been looking everywhere for you. Yes, Miss Lane, I know. You've got to help us, Superman. You've got to get us back. The trouble is, I don't know exactly what to do. Well, there's one thing you can do. The professor has some important information at home. If he had it here, he could figure out the kind of metal he needs. And you want me to try and go get it? Please, Superman, you must. Very well, Miss Lane. I'll try. I'm sorry, Miss Lane, I can't do it. I can't crack the time barrier. But you broke through it to get here. Yes, I know. But that was a one-way trip, and please don't ask me why. I can't explain. You were our last hope. Now even that's gone. I'm afraid you're right. Although at least I can keep Turk in line. Oh, you better join the others in the cave. Anything you say, Superman. Superman has leaped onto the scene to confront Turk. I don't know how many times I've told you this. You don't seem to understand. But you see what I can do. Me stone man, me boss. Huh? You're not boss anymore, Turk. That's what you think. But they think differently. 
Who's boss? Me or him? Boss. Far. I've been watching Superman. He made fire with his lighter and chipped a rock with his gun. Oh, perhaps we can do him one better. Sheepers, all you need is your X-ray vision. Uh, uh. He wants you to chip the rock like Turk did. Oh, that's what he wants. Uh. Boss! I'll show you who's boss. What are you gonna do with me now? Not a thing, Turk. We've all gotta to learn to live together here somehow. Let's get back to the others. Professor Twiddle's had a revelation. Well, Superman, we heard the bad news that you can't get back, but thanks for trying to help us. Well, I'm sorry I couldn't do more than try. Professor, I'm afraid it's all up to you. I'm trying, I'm trying, Superman, and I almost have it. You see, what I need is a metal that gives off neutral isotopic rays. Well, then let's round up all the metal we can find around here. Look. We need metal. 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 Understand? Metal. Uh, uh. Metal. Metal. Don't blame me if he brings back a compact. Compact? That's it. That's what, Professor? Oh, that's, that's it. That's the answer. That's the metal I need. You see, atoms must be extraordinarily compact in order to give off the right rays. Well, do you know of such a metal? I do now. It's called carborium X. Well, then let's go find some of that. I'm afraid it won't be quite that easy. You see, carborium X is found only on meteors. Then by all means, let's find a meteor. But you can't fly like you used to. You tried. Miss Lane, it's true I can't fly through time, but I can still fly through space. But there is still one problem. Only Turk knows where the time machine is hidden. And he has no intention of leaving the past. Superman has taken the Carborium X. Did you find it? Did you find Carborium X? I hope so, Professor. I dug this out of a meteor. There may be some Carborium X in it. This is it. This is Carborium X. Yes, this rusty part here is what I'll need. Well, then let us get to work right away. Say, by the way, there's been so much going on around here, I'd forgotten about Clark Kent. Where is he? Please, let's not worry about Kent. I can find him anytime, I promise you. Yes, but first I must have my time machine, because without it, this is absolutely worthless. Professor, this isn't easy to say, but this will be the second time I've failed you. You see, your time machine can be almost any place. It could take years to find. Yes, but I must have it now, before the other radioactive elements in it go dead. Well, let's face it, we're cave people. That's the way it's going to be. Well, one good thing about it, we've all got a lot of experience. Maybe we can get society off on a better foot. I hope so, Jim. Meanwhile, I'll go look for Kent. The caveman that Jimmy had asked to search for metal for Professor Twiddle's time machine has now found some diamonds. Turk has traded them for his lighter. Because he believes the diamonds he has can buy his freedom, Turk has decided to give back the time machine. Well, thank heavens you've come to your senses. Why? Why did you do it? Let's just say I got a streak of decency about me. The first thing I'm going to do when we get back is destroy that machine. The first thing I'm going to do is ask for a raise. 
This newspaper work can be pretty dangerous. Yes. Now, we are all ready to attempt a return to the 20th century. Wait, not yet. Clark isn't here. I'm here. Well, do you think I'd pay you a salary just to roam around the countryside? Well, I'm sorry, Chief, but a man can get lost out there, you know. But where's Superman? Oh, he's all right, Jimmy. Just don't worry about it. But he can't get through the time barrier. Lois, I've been in touch with him. You see, Superman's been in contact with this Carborium X, so he won't have any more trouble with the barrier. Well, then everything's settled, darling. Perhaps if we had met at another time in another world, everything would have been different. But now, Lana, I'm afraid it's goodbye. Goodbye. Professor Twiddle places the space metal inside his device, and the result of its activation is, is a success. Professor Twiddle, Turk Jackson, and the Daily Planet staff are back in the elevator in which their adventure had started. Got to change clothes first. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll buy everybody a new wardrobe. I'll buy the whole town. With those? Diamonds, my boy. A whole handful. I'm afraid not, Turk. You see, you've got nothing but common quartz here. Ask the professor. Oh, yes. Mr. Kent's absolutely right. They're worthless. You're crazy. They're real. It's gotta be. Okay, Kent, you win again. I started out to give myself up. Well, let's do it now and get it over with. I hope Superman got back all right. Don't worry, Lois. I'm sure he did. Well, what's the trouble? Didn't you ever see a caveman before? <laughs> so Through the time barrier. Yes. Through and back again, fortunately. Wow. Yeah. So, gee, do you think that the third season's going to be any different than the first two? A little bit. <laughs> it, does have so, new, it does start with a new opening. Obviously, they had to refilm the opening. Yep. For color. A new opening in color. And we're getting some uh, uh, all new shots, different shots. Train, gun, the whole faster than a speeding bullet, yep. more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings. I believe the audio was the same. Uh, no, I think they redid that, too. Oh, they did? I think the whole thing is different. I think the whole thing is different. I might have to look that up. Don't take my word on that. That sounded more confident, actually, than I am right. in that in that statement. One of these uh, days, I'll have to listen to both and see. Right. But I do think it is a whole different audio track. I think the, the whole thing is different, and the announcer is different. Well, either way, the audio is exactly the same. The, it's the same words. It's the same uh, words. Same words, same pacing, same tempo. Everything about it is the same in the same spot, but it's right. color. Uh, but the train is going the different way. It's in color. The angle of the Daily Planet that they show as he can, as they yeah. say, leap over buildings in a single bound. The crowd is All gone. The, the crowd is gone. There's nobody saying, look, up in the sky. It starts off with the announcer saying right off the bat, the adventures of Superman. And which, boom. Which didn't happen in the black and white episode. No. Look, up in the sky is how the uh, original started. But uh, so we're different. We're we're in a whole, you know, it's still Superman. It's different. And I still get a little bit of a laugh of poor, it's not bow-legged, what do you call it? Knock-kneed. George Reeves is a little knock-kneed. You'll notice his knees and everything come straight and then his feet kind of go out a little bit. Yeah, I did notice that. You know, and uh, but, you know, it's a, a new opening. We've got a new flag opening and a new standing in space and a color episode and a color suit, of course. 
and then the name of the episode through the time barrier. Yes, at some point, the title card is going to disappear. I think it's season five. Uh, I'm not sure it even lasts that long. It might be season, or this might be the last season, but no, no, Big Squeeze is season four, isn't it? I mean, the Big Freeze. Yeah, that's season four, so. And they, okay, there are titles for that, so you're probably right then. Season five, the titles might disappear. And I, I need to ask, get on the Adventures Continue, Jim Nolt's Facebook page. That might be a quick, easy way to find out. But I think, though, the, the title shots were actually originally filmed for broadcast right. in season five and six. But when they somehow aired later, they cut them and that they never made it to DVD either. That's one of the complaints, by the way, of the uh, hardcore George Reeves Adventures Continue there are apparently original <clears throat> film prints or the original whatevers of this from season one, all six seasons are available and they want them to do remasters because what we're seeing on the DVD is the same print, the same copy that was actually broadcast. So it goes from everything. Some of them look really, really good and some of them look like the stolen costume. Yes, this episode starts... With uh, Jimmy balancing a pencil on his nose. So, like I said, the first 30 seconds of the first episode of the new season in color is a comedy bit with Jimmy balancing a pencil on the end of his nose. You know, and I just thought of this right now. Mm. If you remember Jimmy Olsen, boy editor. Yes. Perry White is balancing a pencil on his nose when Clark walks in on him in his office. Oh, you're right. I just thought of that right now. Good and, catch. And Clark comes in and says, oh, yeah, I've often caught Jimmy doing that. Yes. Oh, what a callback. See, this could be a legitimate callback that just totally slipped my mind and right. totally got away. Very cool. Good catch. Uh, but then right away, after Jimmy balances it a couple times, we see our guest star um, uh, or guest, yes, this, Ster- this week's Sterling guest Holloway. star, Sterling Holloway. Um, Holding a box. Yeah, holding a box. And what nutty professor would come into the Daily Planet not holding a box? They've all got boxes of some kind. But nothing is more important than this box. This is an important box. Gee, I wish I had the time to talk about it now. Yes. And well, Professor Twiddle actually does suggest Jimmy jump off a bridge so he can bring the box into. (laughs) Yeah. Perry looked a little tanned in this one, too. I don't know if he's got a little too much makeup on or... Yeah, I don't know. He's got a nice little little tan going on there. So, a good job of Jimmy. He holds his ground. Yes, he does. He does not let Sterling Holloway into the important meeting. No. But he does so let we the... See, ne- yes. But he, but he does let the next guy in. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say. So, now we see our next guest star. Yes. And uh, this guy, Jimmy, lets him in, but only after the guy proves he is who he says he is by, by putting by a gun on him. Yes. My question is, if, if he's turning himself in, <coughs> why is he pulling a gun on Jimmy? Why does he even still have a gun if he's turning himself in? Yeah, and how come Clark never takes it from him? Exactly. I mean, even after the guy signs the thing, in the very scene, Jimmy lets him in. They go to the thing. <clears throat> okay, Turk, read this. And sign it. Turk reads it, signs it. They all say, okay, let's go. Lois makes her little joke. Are, are we taking him in or is right. he taking us in? I guess we need to establish the gun for later. Uh, I guess, because even at that point now, he still has the gun as they're supposedly on the way to police headquarters. Yes. 
but what happens? They get into the elevator, and who's waiting for them in the elevator? Ah, oh, good old Professor Twiddle. Hi, Professor Twiddle. What you got in the box, dude? Yeah. <laughs> he, no, and nobody's buying this. Lois immediately tells him to go uh, bur- bury it in the backyard. She was rude. She Lois was. was rude. That was just rude, Lois. That was. <coughs> so Twiddle claims that he has conquered time. And for some reason, they suggest uh, the day of the caveman. I think that's interesting because when Professor Twiddle says, where should we go? Perry says, any time before there was paper. <laughs> it was actually Clark that said uh, prehistoric times. Right. And that's when Turk actually said, yeah, good idea, Kent. No yeah. cops there. Yeah. I'll rule the whole territory. With yeah, he'll rule, he'll rule all of the well-groomed cavemen. Uh, and Lana, his cave woman. Yes. Or cave sister. We don't really know their relationship, do we? No, we really don't. They really don't. And since she's kind of got the apparent hots for Perry and his red flannels, it's a little, you know, we never know. Maybe the cavemen, they have an open marriage. Or maybe they're not married. I'm pretty sure they knows, have, I'm pretty sure the concept works. of marriage hasn't been invented yet in fifty thousand BC. Think, you wouldn't think fifty thousand BC. But then again, you don't know. We don't know. Don't know. I don't think religion had been invented either. <laughs> so. Fifty thousand BC. So they all think it's a joke, and of right. course Professor Twiddle, you know, pushes the button and flips the switch and, and you know what? He doesn't know what's gonna happen when he when he flips this switch. No, he does not know. He was surprised, too. Hey, it worked. I did it. Yeah. (laughs) You say you didn't test the machine. You just did the math. You built the little box. Then you say, well, I think it's going to work. I'll take it to the Daily Planet. I mean, even Doc Brown had the sense to send his dog a minute into the future to test the time machine. Exactly. Even in future episodes, other professors have tried their own inventions on themselves before they take them to the Daily Planet. Not this one, though. Not this one. <laughs> so, boom. Now they're in 50,000 BC. Right. And, and uh, this is where we learn that, okay, they figured, okay, we've had our joke. Time to go home. This is when Twiddle drops the bombshell. He spent so much time getting into the past, he hasn't perfected the means of reversing it. Yeah, he didn't quite figure the whole, oh, I can go one way one time. How do I go back the other way? You know, oh, I didn't really think this sucker through, did you? Were you I just planning to go back to yesterday? I don't think he really thought this thing would work. <laughs> You're probably right. Because uh, no one was more surprised than him. <laughs> right. He said to it worked. Oh, Sterling Holloway. And of so, course, Perry drops a great Caesar's ghost. Which, of course, he doesn't exist yet, as reminded by Jimmy. Thank you, Jimmy. Yes, we know. In fact, nothing. And this is funny, too, when they think they're just going to set things up and start a, a caveman newspaper. Yeah. Oh, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <it's>... no. <laughs> And now we get our first look at our cave people. The woman has uh, taken a shine to Perry, who is quite frightened by this. And, I and, mean... and this is even before he's in his red flannels. Yeah. Or he's, he's still in them, but before we well, see him in them. We don't know about the red flannels yet. Hmm. And uh, the caveman here, like I mentioned, he is uh, very well groomed for a caveman. He must yes, have, he, is. he must have come from just come from the fifty thousand BC salon, <laughs> right? I would think his hair would be a little bit longer. Yeah, a lot longer, not just messed up a little bit. There actually is an extra guest caveman that we see later roaming around that actually looks like a caveman. At least he has a little bit longer hair. 
But yeah, back in the prehistoric, no dinosaurs, of course, no, yet. No, 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 dinosaurs are gone by now. They're gone by now, 50,000 BC. So, you know, uh, unless, of course, you're, well, we won't go there. So those but, of you who are the run into the Flintstones, that's not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Flintstones is a cartoon, not history. But 50,000 BC, we got dinosaurs, I mean, not dinosaurs, we got these cave guys. Yeah. And apparently it's populated by two people and maybe that other third Guy that is kind of ugging in the background a little bit. Yeah, he shows up for a couple of the scenes. Well, but but these are our two main cave people. Yeah, you know, this is all the show can afford. (laughs) So obviously, Turk is going to take the box. Jimmy's going to put out a rock paper, and uh, let's talk about this sequence where Turk takes the box, shall we? Yeah. Now Clark is going to tell Turk that he's in charge of it. Why Twiddle didn't take it wherever he went, we'll never know. But so. Clark goes to pick it up, and Turk pistol whips him, right? Yep. Still with me, right? Yep. If you look over Clark's shoulder, right before he, right as he moves, yep. you see a tinge of blue over, over his shoulder. So you, you already know that Lois is still there. Right. So obviously Lois is watching him, and she re- then when they get a close-up of her, she reacts to it. Right. But then Clark gets up immediately. He sees Lois, falls down again, and she says nothing. Right. Nothing well, about- that was done for the eight-year-old reader out there, or viewer. That was strictly done uh, so that the kids would be in on it. I mean, if they had done it properly, he would have realized Lois was behind him pretty quickly. As soon as the guy hit him, he'd have gone down right. to keep his secret identity. But to let the kids watching, I think that's why they, and we'll see many times that kind of thing happen in the color episodes where something happens to Clark. He doesn't react until he sees Lois or Jimmy watching him. And then he reacts right. and falls down. Uh, and this, this, this will happen throughout the series. I think that was a, uh, a, a directing thing uh, done strictly for the kid viewer. Clark was already down, right? He was down on his knees when he got hit and then he jumps up. Then he when jumps he got up. Hit. Right, but and then he, he jumps up, sees Lois, and and then falls down as a delayed reaction. There should have been some reaction from Lois here. Probably, probably her going, "Oh, Clark," or something, running in, or "You thug!" Right, should have been something. But but, um, she's, uh, she's going but do you mean reacting to him not falling down? Yeah, or... him getting back up and then oh. just falling right down inexplicably. Oh, a delayed reaction. Right. Yeah, well, that's why they couldn't have her react to that because she didn't see it like we did. Right. The viewer saw that. Lois didn't see that. Yes, she did. She was right there. Well, yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) She was watching the whole thing. Yes, but we were watching it in super time. Right. (laughs) She was watching it in Lois time. Yeah, she must have been. She was sticking by that little hat across the street from the office. (laughs) That she'll get with the new rays. Right. Lois is going to look after Clark, because I guess someone has to. And now we get this next shot of everybody looking kind of miserable. Jimmy is chiseling, and I believe he doesn't know how to spell Neanderthal, and Perry yells at him for that. So at least it's nice to know that even in 50,000 BC, Perry is still going to scream at Jimmy. All right. They have their cave clothes on yet? Nope, not, not yet. And is Perry going to edit the chiseled, the chiseled rock? Yeah, I don't know. How do you edit? It's already in stone. Right. So anyway, Perry, the cave woman, is still trying to feed Perry, and he looks terrified. 
And Twiddle is trying to remember his calculations, which he left in his office. And they all reminisce about what they miss. Lois misses the hat, the hat that she can't afford. Jimmy misses going to the ball game. And Perry misses headaches at the office. Because I don't think Perry ever leaves the office. No, he never leaves the office. I think well, he will. He will. Yeah, he left the office. Remember? Goldfish? Yeah. Tank? He left the office. So this is when, after Clark suggests that Superman can't help him, this is when Turk comes around with some caveman outfits. Of course, none for Clark, which is probably a good thing. Someone might see a Superman costume underneath it. Quite convenient. Yeah. They, they, apparently, they didn't have one in uh, in tall. <laughs> they all get changed. Everybody's uh, cave caveman outfits fit uh, very well. And here comes everyone, and now we get to see Perry in his bright red long johns for the first time. Yay! And everybody gets a big laugh out of it. I think I laughed pretty hard as a kid, too. Yeah. I mean, really, it's Perry White in long red flannel underwear. It's pretty funny. I wonder if they do this just to show off the color. Uh, Probably. Probably. Had a lot to do with it. Right. So, But as they're coming out, the music is much more upbeat, I guess, to underscore the humor of them in caveman outfits. Right. Star Trek fans think that, like, that little Scottish oboe-type sound yeah, music they play. Clarinet. Yeah. So Twiddle decides he needs to challenge Shark now, and uh, he doesn't realize he's walking into a loaded gun until Clark reminds him. Mm-hmm. And Turk fires a shot and causes a cave-in. Way to go, Turk. How did a guy named Turk end up as the boss? That's like it sounds like a name for the dumb muscle. Yeah, it does. Sometimes the muscle gets to the top. Yeah, sometimes. Al Capone started his muscle. So, so right here, Clark has, is going to tell everyone that he's Superman because it no longer mm-hmm. matters. Right now, it looks like 50,000 B.C., they're going to die in a cave. Looks like all the air went out of that cave pretty quick, too. It did. It went out very quickly. It filled out. The air in that cave disappeared about as fast as that room in the Whistling Bird filled up with water. <laughs> yeah, it... it uh, very quick. Oh, boom. Cave in. Oh, there goes the air. Uh, well, there's also some gas that helped. Okay. So, well, so. Everybody, else, well, everybody passes out. Clark just lays down for a snooze. <laughs> and then when everybody is sufficiently unconscious, hopefully not dead. But hopefully not dead, but he waits a long time for them to just pass out, make sure they're all out. They're all out before, uh, put, before putting a costume on and breaking through the rocks. Not a bad little break through the rock no, scene. No, that, that was a good one. He didn't just take two steps and come through that thing. He That was a pretty forceful, oh, he, uh, you know, he had some speed going up when he hit that wall on the other side. Oh, yeah, he hit that full force. Yeah, he did. And that was really, you know, good that for you, good George. One. That was a good one. And it's really him. I mean, because it's right there in the camera. I mean, he, there's no stunt man right there. Oh, no, 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 Nobody broke through a wall like George Reeves did. No, that's really George busting through those boulders, those styrofoam or whatever they're made of boulders. Some of them look pretty cool. Well, some of them look and crumpled like they had a little bit of weight to them. Right. Uh, so not a bad scene considering it's budget. All it's not like stuff. in a later episode when he'll break through a wall when he could have flown over it. I'm not <laughs> sure which episode that is, but the wall doesn't go very high. <laughs> well, I think it's the one where King it, for a Day or something. Yeah. Where Jimmy is the king of, or they think he's, it's the Prince and Pauper story. Where It's like a brick fence and busts through instead of flying over it. Yeah. Of but, these wooden bricks. But right, yeah. Right. Anyway, so yeah, he busts through this really nice thing, changes back to Clark Kent. Comes back and lays down with them again. Right, and then everybody wakes up, and uh, the caveman comes in for a game of charades. Uh, uh. Yeah, basically, and he 
waves his arm, arms around, and makes a little jump to show that he's landing. They all look at him like they don't know what the hell he's saying, which they don't. Which but- is interesting. So we didn't see Superman fly. We saw him bust through the wall and run off camera. Didn't even do the jump. But the- they're describing him as if he flew, landed, and busted through the wall. Yeah, they are. Well, did we see him? Did we hear the sound effect of him flying? No, there were no flying sound effects at all. Superman okay. did not fly in that scene. He came out of the cave. So even a good detective okay, would have realized that those boulders were crashed from the inside, right. not from the outside. Well, I don't think they did much detecting. Oh, no, it was just a good scene. Yeah. But Columbo would have had that one in no time. Right, well, so <laughs> the caveman uh, writes an S on the ground. I'm not sure if there was writing yet in 50,000 B.C., but well, it didn't have to. He was just copying what he saw on the chest of Superman. Right. Because Superman stood still long enough for him to get a good look at that. Exactly. So, Superman is here. Yay! Of Yay. Course, of course, Turk <laughs> is quite put out by all this. Well, he yeah. should be. And uh, meanwhile, uh, the woman, cave woman, is still fussing with Perry. And Perry <laughs> is doing everything he can to try to escape and failing miserably. So, this is where Turk is going to uh, come up with his next uh, big plan. He's going to be Stone Man. And he's yeah, clever. And he's powered by a Zippo and a revolver. <laughs> well, to a caveman, that's pretty big time stuff. That is. Although, unless he's got a lot of bullets in his pockets, that revolver is going to be worthless in about five shots. This show has never paid any attention to things like that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> if you go, if you think of uh, Star of Fate, the uh, what's his name? God, I just did this episode. I should remember the guy's name. Well, whatever it is, the the bad scientist. He fires. Not Whitlock, the other guy. Well, anyway, he fires three shots at the at the sarcophagus, and then three shots at Superman. So six shots. Right. And then Superman gives uh, Jimmy the gun to hold on him. Oh, right, because he switched places with Jimmy in yeah. the in the sarcophagus. So Jimmy is holding an empty, <laughs> can empty gun on this guy. <laughs> That's true. That's pretty funny. <laughs> it didn't occur to me on that one. That's pretty funny. And it, and it, nothing ever happens with that. Right. Did you say that in your show? Yes, I did. Oh, good. That's pretty I, funny. I went back and counted. <laughs> okay. That's pretty funny. Okay, that one got by me, too. That's pretty funny. Okay. But, yeah, so we don't know yet. We haven't counted because Turk has only fired, uh, what, once so far? Once at, once at the cave. Right. And that's it. That's it. That's really it. So he's probably got... He's going dip- to fire once here. Right. At, at the rock. So that's two. That'll be two. So he should so- only... I, lo- I didn't count how many times he shot at Superman, though. Well, he hasn't shot him yet. We haven't gotten there yet. Well, no, but I haven't counted that. <laughs> I'm assuming he empties his gun on him there. I would think so. And I think it's interesting because we don't know. We assume six, but some revolvers are actually five-shot revolvers, right. depending on the caliber. But we'll stick to the assumption that it's basically a six-shot revolver. Right. And so far, two shots have been fired. Right. So... Lois gets tired and sits down, which gives Clark a chance to become Superman. So, <laughs> Superman yeah. shows up to talk to Lois. She asks him, for, for you know, just fly back to the 1950s and get the professor's notes. And yeah, piece of cake. I don't, I don't know. Was he time traveling in the comics yet? That's a good question. So, this episode was 1953. Filmed in 54, aired in 55. Uh, 54 and 55, yes. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I would. I think so. But yeah, I'd, I'd have to check that. I don't know when he could fly in his own 
but we're close to that time period. If he hasn't done it yet in the comics, he's getting real close. By the end of the 50s, the late 50s, 58, 59, 60, he can fly through the time barrier under his own power. So, obviously, uh, he can't do it, and he has absolutely no explanation as to why. Said he tried, just can't can't seem to break through. And he can't explain how he was able to do it the first time. <laughs> right. So, so, we go back to Turk, who's still trying to get the caveman on his side. And then Superman shows up and says he's the boss. Mm, boss. Yes. And I will say, despite the silliness of this episode, there's that word. You're going to hear that a lot. George Reeves looks real good in, in this scene, especially in this scene right here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I've mentioned that this is how I like the costume to look. Yeah, me too. I, this is one of my favorite versions of the costume. It looks good on him. He looks good. And when things are happening in this episode, he is Superman. Right. He just glances down at that stick and it catches on fire he goes over and punches a wall or the the stone yeah he's just large and in charge he is superman here yeah what i like about the dark blue is that the uh makes the red pop out a little bit more it it really does the red this is a beautiful costume and i love the way the cape is hanging back Uh, not as much as it will in later seasons in five and six there's like a two foot drop back there (laughs) it drops almost his belt (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a pretty big drop back there. But in this one, you know, there's you see the blue underneath the, you know, the cape. It's hanging back, but it flows really nicely. Uh, there's a nice feel to it. It just right. looks really nice. And it's a good look. And he and George's hair is just jet black. Right. And Actually, uh, I thought it looked a little brown in this episode. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. But it's dark. It looks it good. It just looks good. The only thing that looks weird in, in this costume is the S on the cape. The the way the out the outline kind of blends into the rest of the cape. Right, right. Well, it's the same color. They have right. the red S on the red cape. So, yeah, yeah, so just doesn't seem to stand out as well as it did on the on the black and white suit. Mm. So anyway, like I said, I this is a great scene, and uh, Superman wins over the cavemen because well, everything Turk can do, he can do better. <laughs> yeah, without tools. Right, without tools. <laughs> right. Jimmy, when he lights the stick on fire, Jimmy points out that he used his x-ray vision. Right. Not his heat vision, but the heat from his x-ray. And in fact, they didn't even say that you just used the heat from your... He just said, oh, you just used your x-ray vision on that. That's the way to go, man. So now uh, we learn that they need some metal to get the time machine to work. Uh, Jimmy, uh, I guess Jimmy just went through Lois's purse to get metal. Yeah, just picked it up and rifled right through it. Apparently she has no objection. So they need some Carborium X, so Superman flies and gets it. Yay, Superman! Meanwhile, Turk tells him it doesn't matter because I still know where the machine is. And uh, Perry uh, yells at him a little bit, and Turk is unmoved. All of a sudden, after that, Perry uh, remembers that nobody's seen Clark in a while. Never mind, I can find Clark whenever I want to. Right. He can find Clark, but he won't be able to find the time machine. (laughs) Right. No, there's several in, 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 what is the word, things that should work, but they don't. Right. So, for example, he can look around with his x-ray vision and says, nope, don't see anything there. But then, uh, oh, he could use his x-ray vision to find one thing, but not the other. Right. You know, why, you know, I think, are you kidding me that you think Turk could hide that box somewhere in the near vicinity that Superman can't find? He couldn't go that far with it. Exactly. And he couldn't have built some sort of a lead box. And even if he had a lead thing, you would go, oh, hey, there's something I can't see through. I wonder what's in that. Right, you know. So, no, but, you know, for the plot, you got to let it go. Oh, you, you see that all the time, even today. Oh, yeah, nope, even today. Yeah, well, even, even Superman never mentions it. 
a row of warehouses. Right. Right. One of them's lead. Oh, no, we're safe in here. He right. can't see us. Right. Which one is he going to worry about? The one, he, the ones he can, or the one he can't see into? Exactly. Exactly. So apparently, the caveman is walking around with something, and he calls it metal. And uh, oh, yes. And uh, well, Turk thinks it's a diamond. And uh, you know, this caveman is pretty swift. He's got the uh, the art of horse trading down. Well, he gets it. He knows not to uh, not to give anything away for free. Fire. Yes, he wanted the fire, and he knows what he wants too. Fire. Yep, he got it, and he got his fire. He got a lighter. He's probably gonna burn down the whole jungle now, but it's all right. It's all right. He's got his lighter. Fire would be very important to a caveman. Yes. So Turk brings back the box because he thinks he's a millionaire, and Professor Twiddle has announced that he's going to destroy the time machine. Stupid. They always do that. Yeah. Every single time one of these crazy professors invents something really cool, but is used wrongly for some reason, or something goes wrong. There, if we get out of this, I'm going to destroy this machine. What, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? No, if you get out of this, don't be an idiot. Really? For crying out loud. No, I'm going to destroy the time machine. Oh, well, okay. No, oh, just, be, just be smarter how you use it. Right. <sighs> okay, that yeah, was fun. That was. <laughs> and uh, what did they forget to do before they went home? Change clothes. Yep. I'm glad Lois noticed that in the in the elevator. Right. And Clark makes up this story about how the Carborium X is going to magically transport Superman home. Yes, Superman, since he's been in contact now with the Carborium X, he will be able to travel through the time barrier under his own power. Yes, yes yeah. he can do that now. <laughs> as right. Long, as long as he hits 88 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So good. So good. Yeah, and a few little quick. What's the matter? You've never seen a caveman, caveman before? Yes, yeah. and Clark lets out this great laugh, which I believe is yeah. the first time we've seen this. Yeah, yeah. That's just a good... Uh, sometimes when he does that throughout the next few couple of years, right? they feel real. It feels like George Reeves is laughing. Oh, yeah, it does. You know, it feels, yeah, real. So Hard to fake that. Right, right. But, you know, you know, and like you said in the beginning of this, we're probably going to make fun of this and it being silly. And come on, this is silly. This starts off silly. It ends silly. It does. This is a silly, silly episode. But the characters are still the guys in there. They are. You know, it's still the same guys, pretty much the same character acting, the same as we've seen them in the previous two seasons. But the plot and the stories around them are silly yeah it's, it's silly but it's still fun i didn't sit there thinking oh this is so stupid i gotta turn this off i can't sit here and watch this and but um we're gonna make fun of this stuff but at the same time i think we're both uh i enjoyed this yeah it, it, I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching this episode again this is one of the episodes i i saw as a kid oh okay good because this this was on one of those thanksgiving uh superman festivals. Mm -hmm. yeah i forget you're a northerner guy what was that? So you, you're in the north, aren't you? Yes. So you probably were able to pick up, what is it, PIX or something up there? What station you did know, you watch this on? A lot of people who've grown up in, in the north in the northeast have said PIX, but I always remember watching it on WWOR. Oh, okay. PIX was channel, is channel 11. WWOR is channel 9. Mm -hmm. I wonder if at some point the rights flipped. Uh, could be. Could be. And the syndicator went to the other channel. Because I always remember it being on Channel 9. 
Ah, uh, okay. I watched it in in reruns on WRVA TV right. 12, channel 12. I forget. I think it was on the CBS network in primetime originally, or it was distributed. It might have been one of the first shows that wasn't actually on a <clears throat> network, but was on syndicate, local prime time or something i forget the details right. but it was distributed through cbs and the desi Lu company and i think so cbs was channel six in the original airings of these i think locally right but but, but anyway uh yeah i thoroughly enjoyed this i know I we too. you know we kind of made fun of it and we're going to make fun of a bunch of these color episodes oh I think, yeah but, but again it doesn't take away it doesn't you know some of them are going to deserve it Oh yeah, some of them are just downright terrible. They're they're groan groaning. But the special effects aren't any worse than the special effects in Superman Two of Zod and then company talking on the moon. Right. Oh please. <laughs> so, but anyway, good, right. good. Right. This was good. Say so we're all done with this one, huh? All right. So take a quick break, play another promo, and we'll come back with the talking clue. Woohoo! Hang around, folks. Star Wars, give me those Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, don't let them Star Wars, those great Star Wars, talking about Star Wars on a podcast. I'm Ryan Daly, and welcome to... And I'm the Irredeemable Shag. Dude, what are you doing? What? Give me those Star Wars as my show. Well, you're part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, so it's really our show. But if you show up on the promo, people will think you're the co-host. I'm not? No, the show will have rotating guests. You just took that idea from my Justice League International podcast. You took that idea from my Secret Origins podcast. And you took that idea from Dead Both and Spies. That was my podcast. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I sang the theme song with you. So? So, technically, I appear on every episode. I'm part of the foundation of this new Star Wars show. That's... That's true. So, you want to take this from the top, or what? I'm Ryan Daly. Join me and a galaxy of guest stars on Give Me Those... <coughs> including the irredeemable Shag, whose voice you will technically hear on every episode, on Give Me Those Star Wars... The official Star Wars show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes and Stitcher and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into The Talking Clue. Original broadcast date was April 30th, 1955. Writer was David Chandler. And director was Harry Gerstad. Guest cast includes show veteran at this point. Billy Nelson as Muscles McGurk. Yay, Muscles! Yeah, this is like Billy Nelson's uh, third or fourth episode by now. Yeah. If you include Stamp Day. Right. Which is great. If you guys haven't seen that, that's yeah. a, that's really fun. Well, they heard me talk about it last week. Right. Oh, that last week's episode? Yeah. Okay. Not much to, there wasn't much to say about it, but... Mm-hmm. Right. So, Richard Shackleton as Ray Henderson. Ray Henderson. Yeah, I wonder who he could be related to. Gee... Julian Upton <clears throat> as Claude James. Interesting actor. I think this is his only appearance on the uh, show. Yeah, I don't recall having seen him before. <clears throat> yeah, I don't think I, I... I don't remember him being in any other episode. It's his only shot. And Brick Sullivan as the uniformed officer, <laughs> who I don't even remember. 
<laughs> right. Right. And now for our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Your number one source for Superman on the web. <laughs> All right. A series of, of bank robberies has been committed by Muscles McGurk and his partner, Claude James. Nobody can find McGurk and the teller won't identify James. The Metropolis police are doing everything they can to catch him. Daily Planet reporter Clark Kent is helping out in the lineup. Glad to help out anytime, Inspector. Hi, Dad. Hello, son. Now, Kent, this is my son, Ray. Yes, we met years ago. How are you, Ray? Fine, Mr. Kent. Must be something big up to bring you around. Oh, that attempted bank stick-up. I needed a few extras to fill in on the lineup. Say, you certainly acted the part. What was that business about having several names? Oh, just something to say, I guess. Well, all I've got to say is that Claude James is the man. Claude and Muscles McGurk. Well, you can't find McGurk, and the bank teller won't identify James, is that right? That, in a nutshell, is the situation, I'm afraid. Hmm. Why, Bill, I didn't know you'd taken up voice culture, old boy. <laughs> That's my tape recorder. Dad promised I could make some recordings of the teletype machine. I have the only son in captivity whose hobby is collecting sounds. Sounds? You mean, instead of butterflies or stamps, you collect sounds? It's a super hobby. Listen, I'll bet even you can't guess what this one is. Well, it sounds like shots, but I... I can't figure out what those pings are in between. It's the sound of bullets bouncing off of Superman's body. Where did you get that? I took him along in the squad car. It just happened that Superman ended up by helping us catch a couple of crooks that night. Oh, that I kind see. of stuff is pretty easy to get, actually. The hard things are the real short, quick sounds. You mean like single words? <laughs> he gets them all. He's got about a million boxes full of sounds on pieces of tape about that long. <laughs> you spliced them all together, it might be pretty confusing, huh? Well, you mind if I get set up here just in case the machine goes off? Oh, no, go right ahead. Oh, if I could only locate Muscles McGurk. Is he really that slippery, Bill? Well, we think he and Claude James have been pulling jobs around here for years. But we can't nail him down. Come in. I'm just taking him to the lockup, Inspector. But the Chief wanted me to deliver a complete file on this character. Uh, the officer record said that you had it. That's right. I was studying it last night. That's what I like to hear. A cop doing his homework. Someday it'll pay off, Claude. The files in my safe. Excuse me, son. Here you are. Thank you, sir. Does it say in there how I kicked my grandmother down the stairs when I was two years old? Take him away. Come on. He doesn't seem very worried. Why should he be, when he's in the driver's seat? What is it? They've captured McGurk. Oh, boy, and I got it recorded just as it came over. And I'd better get it recorded in the four-star edition. Excuse me. Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane, in the meantime, must take another assignment because editor Perry White is angry with young Mr. Olsen, who accidentally spilled glue on the chief. Mr. Olsen, I've lived a reasonably good life. I've given money to the poor, taken care of my mother, kept my shoes polished and my nose clean. And now I'd like to ask you just one simple little question. What's the question? What have I done to deserve you? You're just lucky, I guess. 
Maybe we'd better come back a different time. Uh, say next year. Chief, I'll be glad to pay for the pot of glue. No, thank you. No, thank you. Get out. Get out. Uh, Jimmy. Jimmy. I don't think he likes to be called Chief. Now, come on back to my office and I'll explain your assignment to you. As everyone goes about their day, one question is on Clark's mind. Has Muscles McGurk really been taken to prison? Claude James has bailed McGurk out of jail with all the money the pair of thieves had. What's the matter with you? Old maid, old maid. Is that what we're going to do? Sit around here all day playing old maid? I like it. But it don't look right. Listen, McGurk, I've been to a lot of movies, see? And I ain't never seen a couple of hoodlums like us sitting around playing old maid. Okay, so we'll play something different. Jack Strauss. Maybe you'd like to go out and have a quick game of hopscotch. I don't know what's eating you, Claude. I'll tell you what's eating me. That 5,000 bucks we had to put up for bail. That's all the dough we own. You're a very difficult guy. You don't like old maid. You don't like jack straws. Tell me, how would you like making a chump out of a cop? An inspector-type cop. You mean like uh, Inspector Henderson? Uh-huh. This is the type of game I could really go for. Okay, you want it, you get it. Sure, but how are you going to make a chump out of Henderson? Going to have help. His own son is going to help us. <clears throat> Lois and Jimmy are doing a feature story on Ray's sound collection. He plays various ones for them when Muscles McGurk arrives. Sure, why, it can even pick up sounds that we can't hear. That's easy, it's a door knock. Only that one came from the real door. Excuse me. The front door was open, so I came in. I'm the guy that called you earlier, remember, kid? Oh, sure. I'd like you to meet some friends of mine. Never mind. I'd like to make this little transaction alone. You heard the man, Jim. Come on. Okay, kid, get me the tape. The latest one you've been working on. It's right over here. Here you are. Fine. Here's a hundred bucks, kid. But remember, mum's the word. You don't have to worry about a thing. Thanks a lot. It's a pleasure. I'm sorry for the interruption. <laughs> no harm done. You know, I think uh, this may turn out to be a bigger story than I thought. What might be? Your hobby, of course. Let's hear some more. All right. McGurk and James have broken into a secret weapons laboratory in Metropolis. However, the alarm to police headquarters has not gone off. Inspector Henderson gets word of it from a telephone call. Superman arrives at the scene to find Claude with an acid gun that can melt cold steel, but it has no effect on Superman. Frightened, James runs away only to hit himself in the face with the door. What am I supposed to do, Kent? Even with the Claude James in jail, there have been five big robberies in the last five days. And each of these places, plus the weapons lab, has an alarm system connected directly here at headquarters, right? Right. And each of these systems has been short-circuited so it wouldn't go off, am I right? Right. And that's what I can't understand. There's only one possible explanation. Whoever is pulling these jobs knows the weak points in each system. Therefore, there has to be an information leak somewhere. All right, Kent. I've got to tell somebody, so it might as well be you. Our whole network of burglar alarms is pretty old. So, a couple of weeks ago, I got hold of all the wiring plans. I studied each one, looking for possible places the lines could be shorted, particularly from the outside. Well, that's right. You did study electronics, didn't you? Exactly, so I know what I'm talking about. Well, I found a couple of weak spots. <laughs> 
I even used my son's tape recorder to dictate my report and suggestions. I had a secretary type it out and send it to the mayor. The plans themselves and a copy of the report are in that safe there. Are you sure they're still there? I checked an hour ago, still there. But you did put the report on tape, didn't you, Bill? Sure, what's the matter with that? Well, I don't like to say this, but I'm afraid I have your information leak for you. Well, all right, let's have it. I don't like doing this to you, Bill. I don't like it a little bit. Hello, son. Hi, Dad. What's this all about? I don't know. You'd better explain, Clark. Well, this morning, Lois happened to remember something that ties in. I'll let her explain. The other day, Jimmy and I saw Ray sell a man a spool of tape for $100. What's that got to do with it? The report was on tape, remember? Yeah. Well, the man that bought it was Muscles McGurk. McGurk? I didn't know he was McGurk. What was on the tape you sold to McGurk? Just sounds, that's all. I told you to erase the tape as soon as I was through with it. I did, Dad, honest. I want to believe you, son, but you make it awfully hard. Why would McGurk be interested in sounds? I didn't know it was McGurk. Look, I got a phone call. A guy said he heard about my hobby and wanted to buy a tape. What for? He said he was having a party and he wanted to use my sounds for some new sort of a guessing game. It doesn't make sense, son. How would McGurk even know about your hobby? I don't... Maybe he saw it in the paper, the article Miss Lane wrote. But the article didn't come out till the next day, Ray. Dad, I know how it sounds, but you have to believe me. I didn't sell you out. You better go along home, son. I'll talk to you later. I uh, guess I better go too, Bill. I'm sorry. Clark believes that Ray Henderson is not guilty of anything. I'm expecting you. I know you're going to blame me for a lot of things. I wish there was some other way to say it, but all I can say is that I'm sorry. That's not why I came, Clark. I'm a cop, you're a reporter, we both have our jobs to do, and we both have to hurt people at times that we'd rather not. Thanks for letting me off the hook. Look out there, Bill. Pretty big town, isn't it? Too big at times. Well, what I'm trying to say is, Somebody gave Muscles McGurk some very valuable information. All right. For the present, it looks like it might have been Ray. But there are over a million people out there. And it could have been any one of them. Yeah, but which one? That's what we've got to find out. Meanwhile, the important thing is that you realize it couldn't have been Ray. <laughs> no son of yours could go wrong, Bill. You know that? I appreciate you saying that, Clark. I really do. Of course, in my heart, I know it, too. I've got to believe it. You having trouble believing? That's my trouble. In my business, I've seen it happen to lots better men than I am. Oh, there aren't better men than you are, Bill. And I don't think he's a better kid than Ray, either. But the kid could have gotten himself in a jam, you know, and even if he is a good kid, he could have made a mistake. Anybody can make a mistake. This one got to really stand behind him. I intend to. Ray could be the wrongest kid in the world, but he's still my kid. But perhaps it's been my fault. Maybe I failed him. Nonsense. Well, it hasn't been easy trying to raise the boy without a mother. But I've tried, Clark. I've tried. And if I have failed... You haven't failed him. It's all going to work out. I, I'm sure of it. 
Well, I hope so. So in the meantime, I've suspended myself from the force. You've done what? That's what I came to tell you. There's a lot of things a cop can do, but arresting his own son isn't one of them. Muscles McGurgis just taking Ray at gunpoint to Echo Canyon. Get up, kid. We're going for a little ride. A ride? Where? I guess I won't hate to tell you. It's a place called Echo Canyon, nice and quiet. You'll like it, kid, if you behave. I ain't going anywhere with you, McGurk. So you know my name now, huh? And you should know I'm not afraid to use this on your old man. You win. I've caused him enough trouble as it is already. I'd sure like to know what this is all about. Where are we going and why? Sure, I'll tell you, kid. But not with that machine running. I don't know what you're talking about. Then I'll tell you. You and me are going to take that machine of yours, and we're going to go to a nice, quiet place with all the tapes. Then you're going to play me every one of them things. What good's that going to do you? Well, if you've got anything on them tapes as valuable as what was on the first one, I want to know about it. There's nothing on those tapes but sounds. Sure, and that's all that there was on the first one. Now, I'll take the machine, you pick up the rest of the stuff. Come on, let's get out of here. Come on, kid, we haven't got all day. Hey, what are you doing over there? Some of these tape ends are loose. You don't want spools unwinding all over town, do you? Okay, okay, but let's get going. When will I be back? You should worry about when, kid. You should worry about if. Now grab your coat, you might need it. Henderson and Clark have discovered that Ray is missing. The boy's gone, Clark. That doesn't mean he's gone for good, Bill. His tape recorder's gone. Yes, but he took that with him a lot, didn't he? Sure, but his whole collection of sounds is gone. They were his most prized possession. He wouldn't take them unless he were leaving for good. It does look like he's run away. Yeah, go ahead, finish it. It also makes him look ten times guiltier. He didn't leave any notes. I've looked around. In just a minute, he did leave something. What's that? Just two little pieces of tape recording. Yeah, they don't tell us anything. Well, not yet, but let's give it a chance. Look here, Bill. See the edges? They're all ragged, like they were torn off in a hurry. You think he left them deliberately? Well, there's one way to find out. We'll go back to the office and borrow the chief's tape recorder. Then I'll splice these onto a new spool and... Well, we'll hope we hear something. Then what are we standing here for? Let's go! I think that's got it. I thread the two little pieces on the beginning of a new roll. Well, turn it on, Clark, and let's get it over with. It sounds to me like... Quiet, you young idiot! Hello? 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 Well, it was worth a try, even if it came to nothing. I don't know, Bill. When a hunch is all you've got left, I say work on it. Do you still think those sounds mean something? An explosion and somebody saying hello. I don't get it. Let's try it again. We're up a blind alley. Lois, get your pad and pencil. I want you to write down just what everyone says. Jim, I think I'll start with you. Now, what did those sounds mean to you? I told you. An explosion and somebody saying hello. Just a voice. Chief? I'll go along with Olson on the first one. But the second one, I'd say that Ray was trying to get an echo rather than just a voice. And I think you're right about the echo. 
But the first sounded more like thunder to me. Lois? Sounded more like a cannon. Cannon. Well, let's see what we've got. Explosion, explosion, thunder, cannon, voice, echo, echo. Well, where do we go from here? Well, let's try putting any two together. And remember, they may be backwards. Explosion, echo. Echo, thunder. Thunder, voice. Voice, cannon. Echo, cannon. Voice, what'd you say, Jim? Echo, cannon. Clark, that sounds like Echo Canyon. And that's where Muscles McGurk had a hideout ten years ago. Now this is beginning to make sense. Why don't you all get down there? What are you going to do? Well, I have to go down to the jail and check with McGurk's partner, but never mind about me. I'll see you later. Go on. Ray's playing various sounds from McGurk, while the thief has his back turned. Here's one you'll enjoy. Hey, why did I tell you about being a wise guy? It's just the sound of a jail door closing, Mr. McGurk. Well, it ain't going to close on me. Jail door closing. Hey, what's that noise I hear outside? Oh, I don't know. It's probably the wind. No, no. I've heard that sound before. Sounds like something flying. That's it. That's it. It's Superman. He's flying over the canyon. Superman? But how can he... I don't know, but I ain't waiting to find out. Too bad this is just a tape. I could sure use Superman now. Now, a boulder hurled by Superman has prevented Muscles' car from leaving Echo Canyon. He will spend the rest of his life in prison while Ray Henderson's name has been cleared. Now, if you remember, this microphone was on top of the safe when Inspector Henderson had to open it. I just meant to leave it there for a minute. Nobody's blaming you for anything, son. We've done too much of that already. This is the original tape that McGurk bought from Ray. Listen. Did you hear the tumblers click? Four, two, seven. I don't hear anything. How can you? Oh, uh, Bill and I listened to that earlier at McGurk's hideout with the doctor's stethoscope we found there. Oh, I see. They listened to the tape of the stethoscope, counted the clicks. That gave them the combination. And Claude dressed up like a janitor, got into the office, and photographed the important documents. They sure came close to getting away with it. It taught me a lesson. And I don't mean about police work, either. Forget it, Dad. I have. Incidentally, Mr. Kent, the next time you get in touch with Superman, tell him I said thanks. I think he's already had his thanks, Ray. But no wink. No wink, indeed. No wink. I even watched really close. I sat when I saw that coming. I got up close because, you know, I'm really blind. So I wanted right. to say, oh, going to wink. Oh, wait, no you, wink. You know, just looked right into the camera. I was waiting for the wink, too. Yeah, but right into the camera, full screen, full face, right into the camera. No wink. But, uh, the talking clue. Yep. So, what'd you think of this one? Uh, I liked it better than I thought I would when I just saw the the name. When I realized that's what the two episodes we were going to be doing tonight, I thought, you know, through the time barrier, well, that's funny. It's, you know, there's some jokes, there's some humor in that. Talking clue, hmm. But then, uh, again, watching it today, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think there was some fun parts to it. There were uh, some interesting things to it. But once again, you see in the 50s time period what they wanted to project teenagers to to look like this right. is what you wanted the good guy teenagers to look like and how they should act and it's really interesting i mean everybody every young man what from 12 years up was wearing uh, a sport coat and tie or a suit right. and tie 
So, uh, but again, here is someone probably 22 years old or so playing, I don't know what, 15, 16, 17, 18? I guess it's unclear. It's really unclear. Really unclear. And, of course, it is the uh, first, last, and only time we will see young Ray Henderson, the son of Inspector Henderson. This is the only time I I believe that we hear anything about Henderson's life outside of the police department. Yes, I think so. Yes. Definitely the only time we hear of he has a son. And uh, very interesting that they would choose him. But I guess for the story, he needed to have a son. So he has a son for this episode. And we learned something about Perry in this episode, too, that he took care of his mother. That, exactly. He took care of his mother with, with glue on his hands. Oh, that was a, that was a fun uh, little scene. I'll bet Hamilton hated shooting that scene. I don't know why, but I would not have liked to shoot that scene myself. If I were that, I wouldn't want that kind of glue on my hands. Well, it probably wasn't glue. Well, I know it wasn't glue. Some milky, white, liquidy, yeah. whatever. But the thought that unless you do that in one take... He probably sat there for an hour or two with that gunk on his hands. That arose up. That just came to me today watching that thinking as an actor. I was thinking, I bet he, because at one point towards the end of the scene, when he rubs his hand together, it's almost like he's ready to do what he has done before. And other episodes put his head in his hands, do almost a face palm. Right. And obviously he couldn't do that. And how come the paper wasn't sticking up on his desk? All the papers on his desk wasn't sticking to his hands. You know, I also believe. Probably because of the glue. That was the one scene where Perry's not wearing his jacket. Yeah. Sleeves are rolled up. So, yeah, they didn't want to get any <clears throat> of the milky substance onto uh, onto his clothes. No. No. But, yeah, a little fun little little thing yeah, there. Yeah, a fun little one. Yeah. See, like, like I always say, there's one scene that I remember in these episodes that I remember from years ago. Mm-hmm. This one is the scene in the planet where they're figuring out the uh, what the sounds mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's a good scene. It is. It's when they're putting it all together. Yeah. Yep. So there's always like one or two scenes that I remember from a long time ago, even if I don't remember what episode they're from. Right. And I right. also remember the beginning of this episode, too, was pretty memorable with Clark in the police lineup. Yeah. And, oh, I was going to look that up to see if that name meant anything, too, that oh. he used. Lou Chambers. Yeah. Lou, Cha- Lou Was it Chambers? Lou, Lou something, Chambers, yeah. I believe it was, yeah. <clears throat> Uh, but yeah, I was going to look that name Lou Chambers up to see if it meant anything. But maybe one of the lovely listeners will know that Lou Chambers was actually part of Clark's famous singing or George Reeves' favorite singing group, the Chambers Brothers. So he used the name Lou Chambers. I don't know. I just made that up. Well, the only lovely listener that actually sent me feedback is Dave McElvenny. So, Dave... You have your homework. Dave, why did George Reeves, as Clark Kent, use the name Lou Chambers? So I'm calling Dave McElvenny. (laughs) So apparently Clark, though, was helping uh, Henderson fill out a lineup because I guess he needed an extra body. Although I can imagine you're watching this episode, you see Clark is in the police lineup. You're wondering, what the hell's going on here? Any kind of everybody in the lineup had a fedora and glasses. So everybody else in the lineup was also five foot nine. Right, right. <laughs> Except Clark. <laughs> right, he's a little bigger than the rest of right. them. But. So Henderson uh, suspects that the first guy, Claude James, is... Is the guy they want. The yeah, guy that's they good. want. But he has, apparently has nothing to, to pin on him. I, although I do like where Henderson gives Clark the business about having several names. 
Right. And Clark does the little pushing of the glasses up. Say, yeah. well, uh, you know, just getting into the part. Yeah, that sounded good. Yeah. Wanted to make it sound good. Right. So this is where we're introduced to Henderson's son, Ray, who we've never seen before and will never see again. Never again. This is it. One time shot. So apparently he collects sounds. Which, all right. Interesting, interesting little. I can see that being a hobby in, in the 50s. Uh, personal tape recorders are big. I had a little personal, it wasn't as nice as that guy's actually. Yeah, you, mine you, was, didn't ha- you didn't have what he had. No, I didn't have what he had. But I had a little tiny tape recorder and I'd go around recording, you know, stuff. I still wish I had those reels. It'd be fun to hear the little eight-year-old uh, Bobby recordings of my sisters and myself and family. I'd love to have that little reel-to-reel thing, but, right, you know. No, that's long gone. So Ray shows uh, off a couple of things he got, and uh, apparently he got a shot of uh, bullets bouncing off Superman, mm-hmm. which seemed to worry Clark until Henderson revealed that he just kind of brought him along on a on mm-hmm. a bus one night. That was an interesting, really quick take when when Ray said, you know, because Clark was saying, "Well, it sounds like whatever a bullet," you know, and then Ray said, "Yeah, those are bullets bouncing off of Superman," and Clark instantly says where did you get that yeah very serious very serious and then uh, Henderson kind of bails this kid out yeah Clark should know what that sound was you'd think he would have heard it once or twice in his yeah. life yeah right. you'd think although I think well the pinging I believe is the new sound effect mm. I don't the well, ricochet yeah because I think in the black and white episodes they just kind of shot at him they had ricochet <clears throat> sound effect they, they did a ricochet yeah they did yeah. ricochet in the black and white mm-hmm. stop now, after all, after all this, we learned about his hobby, because apparently it's bringing your son to work with his hobby day. <laughs> Here comes Claude James. Which is interesting. How many criminals actually go to the police inspector's office, Inspector Henderson's own office, on their way to or from jail? Yeah, I don't they know. They just stop in. Thank you, officer. This yeah. might be where the... This is the uniformed officer. Uniformed he, officer. He had a very memorable role. He asked for some paperwork. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> But it's important because, you know, he had to come because of plot. Exactly. He has to notice the tape recorder picking up the sound of Henderson's safe. Right. And I actually watched it closely this time to make sure that in in several scenes where he has sound effects or whatever, that the tape recorder was actually on and and moving. Was it? Yes, it was. So it was actually the reel was going around and around. At the very bottom of the screen, you could see the reels turning as uh, Henderson opens the safe. And actually, when when James Claude James comes in with the pl- it, it's all it's being all of that was being recorded. Right. So and then af- shortly after he leaves, the teletype machine goes off. Right. And uh, wow, and I got that on tape. Yeah. And no. Clark realized he better get to the office. Right. Well, you know, you didn't really get it. You got the clattering of the teletype machine right. saying that McGurk was. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. Right. The clacking of the got. teletype doesn't actually say anything. It's not like it doesn't say from. anything. No. It's no. just the sound it, of the uh, of the printout being made. Exactly. It could have been anything that came across. But to his, you know, he will label it and say, this is not just a teletype machine mm-hmm. sound. This is the sound the teletype machine was making. As they actually captured McGurk for the first time. This reel has a big uh, label on it. Real criminals want. (laughs) So now we go to the next scene. Perry and Clark are talking to each other. And uh, I assume they're talking about the story about McGurk's arrest. When Lois and Jimmy comes in and Jimmy spills glue all over Perry. And you know what? Immediately after the glue, I smell the Perry White tirade coming. 
Mm-hmm. But there was no screaming. At least not that much. No, it was very controlled, I it thought. It was. And uh, John Hamilton uh, does, never disappoints when he gets angry at Jimmy. No, and good makeup. He looks like he has a little tan yeah. of some kind. You know, looks good. Apparently, he's done some noble things in his life, including take care of his mother. Thank you, Perry. Good, good son. And what did it get him? Jimmy. Jimmy. He donated to charity. He did. He was saying that I have done what I can do in life. I've yes. been a good person. What have I done to deserve you? Well, just lucky, I guess, yeah. Chief. <laughs> this episode could have taken a real dark turn right there as Perry strangles Jimmy to death. Right. But Lois got him out of there in time. And uh, Clark did too. Reminded Jimmy that this might not be a good time to call Perry Chief. As I mentioned before, here is our old friend Billy Lewis. His first appearance in color. Yay, muscles. Yes, he's playing McGurk. And he and Claude are playing Old Maid. And Claude doesn't want to play Old Maid. Yeah. Or or Jack Straws. We didn't call them Jack Straws as kids. Well, he did. We called them pickup sticks. Right. I think that's what it actually says on the box. Pickup well, sticks. Whatever it's called, Claude doesn't want to play that either. They eventually, during my lifetime, actually, my first canister of what he is calling Jack Straws, right. we called pickup sticks, was actually little wooden sticks, were wood. They were really thin little slivers of wood, different colors. But uh, by 1960, 61, 62, anyway, I know that later, uh, uh, probably by the late 50s even, they changed to plastic. And those are the ones that uh, I'll bet you could still go to a Toys R Us somewhere and pick up a canister of plastic pickup sticks. You probably could. Should be able to. It's a damn crime and shame if you don't. If they're gone. This scene had developed a little bit of a plot hole here. As McGurk proposes the plan to make a chump out of Henderson. Exactly. Now, this, see, this is bad. How would McGurk know anything about this? James should be the one proposing this plan. Exactly. Exactly. Now... Or James, well, regardless, James needed, was the only one that saw the recorder. He was the one that did it. He should have at least said, hey, if you're upset, I know how we can get back at Henderson. And then McGurk could say, oh, you mean a kid's got to, let me look into that. But there's a huge problem with how does McGurk know? And he comes up with the plan and James acts like he never heard of the idea. What, What are you talking about? What's going on? So, yeah, that was a little bit of a bad twist right. there, I think. Somebody screwed up in that little bit of continuity. So, obviously, at this point, they're broke now because James had to spend all the money to bail McGurk out of prison. Right. So, at this point, uh, Clark has sent Lois and Jimmy to do a feature on Ray's sound hobby because I'm sure Clark has better things to do. Ray <laughs> fools Jimmy with the sound of Superman flying. Remember that for later. Must be great speakers on that damn little tape recorder. Man. I know. because you would think Surround you- sound or something. <laughs> <laughs> you, you would think he would notice. Well, I'm going to get to this with McGurk later. Yeah. You would think Jimmy would notice that the sound was coming right in front of him. Right in front of him, but no. So during the demonstration, McGurk shows up, and I don't think anybody actually knows who this is. We know Ray doesn't. I think Lois might, but doesn't say anything until later. But Some, they don't make it clear. They act as if none of the three of them know who he is. But somebody has to know to get to where we get to later. Right, and that's why I think Lois knows. Right. I think Lois knows when she sees him in this little meeting, because I think that's why she's the one that said, that thinks that and makes that comment about this is more than just a human interest story now or something. 
Right. There's more to it than just a hobby. Uh, she knew that there was something going on, and I think she may have recognized him. At least that's the angle I'm taking from that quick little way she looked at him and the little things she said. And it's the only way that makes the end of it logical. The writing in this episode is a little sloppy. A little bit. They leave a little bit. They just seem to make you assume that either you're not going to pay attention, that we need to get to point C, but we're going to skip point B. Right. So, but either way, I think it it's enough that, you know, I can make it in my own little head that, yeah, Lois glanced at him as she walked out. Right. So a familiar glance and then a comment later tells me she knows and that she's the one that told Clark and Henderson which gets later to the culmination of the hello, hello, hello. Right. You know, even if they we, they don't show Lois telling Clark. Right. There's no moment of her saying, "Hey, Clark, come here, I gotta tell you something," and then the none fade away. Yeah. There's no, no indication that Lois tells anybody about this. Right. None. And Jimmy is clueless. So uh... clueless. So that's why I'm saying I have to go on just the glance she gave McGurk as, as they passed. Right. And what is said later. But it's not a direct reference to it. I'm just, I'm filling in the blank. Yeah, and you have to. Yes. There is a demonstration here as uh, McGurk shows up, chases Lois. And then Ray sells him this tape for $100. In 1955 money is a lot of money money for that little spool of tape. And that buys both the tape and uh, Ray's silent. Yeah. 100 bucks when the average income, I'll bet... Clark Kent right there is probably making five grand a year, six grand a right. year as a reporter. Yeah. Now, Henderson has no evidence on James, and he can't bring uh, McGurk back in. But he gets a call that the secret weapons lab might have a prowler. <laughs> the secret weapons lab. Is there a big sign in this place that says secret weapons lab? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Muscles, Muscles McGurk is not that smart. Uh, uh, no. The secret weapon slap shouldn't even be on his radar. <laughs> right. And I did notice here when Superman flies out the window. Yes. There's no springboard here. No, he just jumps out the window. He just jumps out. Yeah. So he, I mean, he still does the same maneuver right, as but, if there's a springboard there. But all the height that he gets to clear that yeah, window frame, that's him. Yeah, that's yeah. him. That's him. That's him. Yeah. He does the same move, but the floor mm. doesn't move, and I was looking for it. It doesn't move, and, and it's totally visible. Right. It's not. This isn't one of those jumping over the cameras or whatever with springboard that you just see the top of it a little bit spring. This was full floor feet jumping out the window. Yeah. Way to go, George. Yeah, he made that jump. And I love those boots. Man, that's... He, go ahead. I think he only did this jump once or twice. We see this shot a lot. <laughs> right. Right. This window was in every building. Well, similar. <laughs> so James and McGurk have found the secret weapons. Superman has caught James, and I'm not sure what this gun is supposed to be. Is it a steam gun or a freeze gun or a what? But it has no effect on Superman, and James pretty much takes himself right out of the equation. Yeah, periodically they do that in the later series. Superman doesn't even have to hit them. They're so afraid they turn or run or do something and trip over a rock and knock themselves out, bump into a car. This time, Claude James just runs into the door. Which was open. Which was open. And then falls backwards against the the wall or the filing cabinets over there and hits the ground. But it's very funny. Yeah, very this ha- funny. This also happened in season two. Mister Frank did that. He running away from Superman. He ran face first into his front door and knocked himself cold. Right. I had a cousin do that once. Except Ooh. it was a it was a glass door in a hotel. Ooh, that would hurt. Yeah, but at least he has an excuse. He couldn't see the glass. 
Mm. He thought it was open. Oh, they did it in the in the um, the voice, the face in the voice. Did they? Yeah, remember the 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 main bad guy with the you know the light hair and the gla- the guy who he, he says, "Oh, you've always been afraid what somebody would happen if uh, they shot you in that face of oh, yours." He didn't go into a door though. He just fell over on. No, but he just fell over on a rock. Yeah, I was like, okay, he just fell down. Yeah, and that happens too. Yeah, I think I made fun of that when when I got to that. Yeah, that's kind of how uh, these things are going to go at this at this point in the series. Yeah, a lot of the violence has been toned down. Toned way down. Superman doesn't have to do a lot of hitting of bad guys, but oh. he he'll do he'll still do some knocking of the heads together and picking a few of them up. He'll there'll still be some head knocking down the pike. We'll have some. I'll always point to Jimmy the Kid where he takes out four guys with two punches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, was, and he and posed. Yeah, I love that with George Reeves will knock a guy out and then pose at the end of it for like a second and a half. Just stand there and pose. Love yeah, it. James is in jail after his unfortunate uh, oh, yeah. collision with the door. So now we've just got muscles to take care of. Right, and there are still robberies going on with the alarm uh, being knocked out. Right. And this has apparently been going on for a few days, and this is when we're going to find out uh, about Henderson's little secret here, where he apparently recorded his report on the alarm systems on the tape. And the first question I'm thinking of is, why would you do that? I still, even though they made a big deal about it, Ray said he erased it. Right. And Henderson says he told Ray to erase it. Right. If you're so, just going to tell him to erase it, why record it in the first place? Oh, he recorded it so his secretary could make a transcription of it. That's what happened. He recorded it, gave it to the secretary. She made a, she did one of those transcribing things, <clears throat> typed it out, basically. And at that point, they have now a hard copy of it. He should have erased it and ordered Ray to erase it. And Ray said he did erase it. So... We find out that even though they they make it seem like Ray did something bad with that, the real thing was not that that got these guys in trouble. It was the fact that Ray recorded Henderson opening the safe, and the guys just took pictures of the maps and all the stuff in the safe. Right. They kind of make a big deal a big deal about this, and it's kind of much ado about nothing. Right, but they, what they did was to try to make it as uh, a big deal about it so that it kind of made Ray look kind of guilty to right. his dad or something, as if he could have done it on purpose, or as if, I told you to erase that, I did erase it, Dad. I don't believe you, son. Right. Okay, and that was a little bit of a problem in that. Henderson right. wanted to believe the best of his son, but he there was some doubt in there. Clark right. was the one who was actually made a great speech at he one did. point we're, that we're gonna get that to hit. that oh okay good and we also learned that apparently in a past life henderson was an electrician because or had electrical studies of right. some kind so and this is where we learn that ray was taken by mcgurk basically ray's basically a dupe in this in this situation mm-hmm. you know and henderson is pretty down about this and you know henderson's always kind of got that tough guy cop thing going on but you can tell by his posture here that he's beaten right here yes yes and have you noticed anything different about how Henderson addressed Clark in this episode? Uh, no, I wasn't paying attention. I assumed he just called him Clark or Kent. He never calls him Clark. He called him Kent the whole time? No, in this episode, he calls him Clark the whole time. Uh, it, that's, that, oh, well, that, this was a more... That stood yeah. out to me because he never calls him Clark. Uh, yeah, that might be a little more personal episode for right. him then. Yeah, and uh, that's interesting. This is uh, 
this is a great scene next between Clark and Henderson. This is the scene you were just talking about. Yeah, this is a really good scene, I think, here. Because Henderson has resigned. He's really down and, and out. And and he's thinking it really looks like his son. Uh, he makes even the comedy. So there's a lot of things that a cop can do. But right. one of them is not arresting your son. Right. He's feeling pretty bad about the whole situation. And Clark says, listen, I don't know of a better man than you. Right. And uh, I thought this was a really good scene when right. Clark said that. I don't know of a better man than you. Or a better kid. <laughs> and a better kid than Ray. Right. But Henderson is concerned because he mentions that, for some reason, we don't know why, that he raised Ray without a mother. Exactly. Which is but, something I'm struggling with right now. Right. Well, we didn't even know Ray existed until right. this episode. And now we think all through the episode up to this point, uh, is there a mother? Is there a right. wife? And, and at this point in the show... Is when he actually says that it's not easy. I've tried to do the best I can, but right. raising a, raising him, you know, without a mother is a difficult thing to do. And it is, you know, because you know there are roles that dad plays and roles that mom plays. And right now, I'm trying to find the balance of kind of being both. And well, it's it's not an easy thing to do. No, it is not. So that's not easy. And you know, Henderson is doubting himself. Yeah, you know, because you know, maybe Ray has gotten into trouble. Right. But Clark just won't let him even think that at all. Right. And, you know, Clark uh, points out that, you know, he, no matter how good a person or or what, even the best of people can make a mistake. Right. Even the best of people can be fooled uh, at times. So after this uh, conversation where, like I said, he calls him Clark throughout this whole scene, I think it would be out of place if he was calling him Kent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though the fact that he was calling him Clark kind of jumped out at me. That's interesting, because I do think he has called him Clark before, and will after this. Right. But you're right, I think the way, this was a much more personal episode for Henderson. This scene works the way it does, because we've established that George Reeves and Robert Shane are good friends. Yes, they are. And it shows in this scene. Yes, it does. The friendship is more than beyond the two characters. Yeah, I think so, too. So, now McGurk shows up, and he's going to take Ray for a ride to Echo Canyon. If he doesn't, that'll be the end of his father. So they leave, and Ray is uh, fussing with the tapes. We don't know what he's doing, but we know that he is doing something. And I will say, it is nice of McGurk to remind Ray to grab his coat before they leave. That was very nice of him. Yeah, you know, he doesn't want him to catch pneumonia while they're out there. No, so he puts his nice sport jacket on. Yeah, you know. Apparently, he's just laying in his bed uh, with it in his suit. Right. I also think it's very interesting when Ray is taking his time to get all the you know, the tapes together and McGurk is saying, come on, hurry up, kid, or whatever. That what Ray is actually doing is peeling off the little two pieces of tape, right. of course. But I think that's interesting that he could actually do that. Yeah, he could tell exactly what sounds he needs just by looking at the tape. Yeah, where they are and how they are and where they find those two pieces of tape. No. Yeah, no, not at all. Impossible. But he was able to do it, so... There would have to be a lot more. He must really know his reels of tape really well. But to be able to do that little task in that 90 seconds or so is is uh, pretty remarkable. I mean, and then to it, drop them on the floor, that was nice. They, we actually did see them drop. Right. We do see them actually drop as he uh, leaves and gets his jacket. Right. So that's nice. Because this is the same kind of tape that they use right up through cassette tapes went out, right? Pretty much. It's just, yeah, reel-to-reel, it's uh, acetate. Yeah, it's... Yeah. There's no markings on that stuff to... Mag- uh, no, magnetic tape. It's just magnetic tape. There's no markings on it to tell you where uh, something no. is. Or something. It's not like a record. 
No, it's not like a record, and it's not like a film that would have a soundtrack to the side of it that you could actually right. see the the uh, audio wave file form. Right. No, it's not that at all. It's just a piece of brown. Right. This tape. should this but, should not work. No, but they're treating it almost like it's a piece of film as right. opposed to a piece of audio tape. I mean, it will work if you know where they are. If you right. knew where that sound was and you had a splicer and you cut that little piece out and you could splice it to another roll, all of that is possible. Right. But the way that they're doing it and the attitude of us looking at it and being able to, you know, for him to be able to find it, rip those two little pieces off, right. that is, that would not possible. That no. That's not possible. But it worked. It was fine. It, it was did. fun. So now Henderson and Clark show up. They find Ray gone, and the sounds are gone, which makes Ray look even more guilty until right. Clark finds the scraps of tape on the floor. And now they're going to put it, on, put it on a spool in Perry's office. This part is a little more plausible. Right. Except at one point, Clark says the word rules instead of spools. Right. Or, you know, real. Maybe that's what he was going to say, real or spool, and kind of came out rule. Right. Characters can misspeak. Yes, and well, the low budget, you're not going to reshoot that one. Golden Vulture stands out mm. in the scene where Clark says, Superman, where are you? He very clearly said, Superman. <laughs> I played it a few times. He said, Superman. Yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was an episode I ranted about, too. I'll bet. <laughs> I'll bet. I'm a few episodes behind. I need to catch up. But that's that one. Uh, oh, man. I almost dropped an F-bomb on Star of Fate. <laughs> Yo, ho, ho. Why were those people opening the box? Uh, why were they doing anything they did in any of that? Yeah. Why does that episode exist? Moving on. Moving on. So, anyway, they they hear two voices. A cannon and an echoing voice saying hello. And I kind of like how they uh, narrow it down. Yeah, they did. That was a nice little scene. This is how you would uh, do that. Right. This scene actually reminded me a little bit of one of the first season episodes when uh, Clark this time was at the blackboard putting the little clues that from the all the little things they had found oh, in yeah. the broken statues. Yes. So this reminded me a little bit of that where the, the whole crew is together trying to figure out the clues. And going around in a, okay, what does it sound like? Well, thunder, echo. They got echo pretty quick. Right. It took, it took a while to figure out the canon. This scene is also famous for Perry actually agreeing with Jimmy on something. Right. Because they both kind of figured it was an explosion. Right. Now, so eventually they find Echo Canyon. Echo Canyon. And Clark says, and they're all going to go. Well, I'm not going to go. I'm going to. Yeah. I have to go over to the police station and check on the other guy for a second. Right. Well, Police Inspector Henderson is right there. Yeah, I don't know why they did it. Yeah, that made that was the that was the lamest. That was terrible. That why was a is, lame, lame excuse. Why is everybody going? Why yeah. is Lois going? Why is Perry going? We don't see any of them there. No, there is no reason for any of them to be leaving. Nope, but they had to get them all out of the room so Clark could change the Superman and right. get the show on the road. So Clark kind of herds them all out the door. And yep, and then he changes and uh, flies off. And Ray is playing some of the sounds. He for McGurk, he plays. He happens to have the sound of a jail door. Hey, kid, get smart with me. Yeah. Well, and then uh, we get the sound of Superman flying again. Again, we saw this with Jimmy. Yeah. McGurk is standing in front of the of the uh, player with his back to it. Yeah. 
I'm telling you, man, how it's a great he, system. How he's can got he be a, fooled? That's what he's got. I'm telling you, that's just a futuristic, great tape recorder he's got there. It's got a complete surround sound system in it, and it doesn't need speakers anywhere but right there. Yeah, it's a great system he's got. This I'm tape, envious. This tape, I'd love to have that. This tape player has the has the power of super ventriloquism. It is well, yes, it does. <laughs> it is totally believable. The audio quality that he's getting out of that is an amazing piece of technology. It I'm is, jealous. It is clearly throwing its voice. I am totally jealous of that tape recorder. I didn't know they had wireless speakers in the fifties. <laughs> uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's amazing that Raiden knows where all these sounds are located on the tape. Yeah, it is. It is. We get a funny scene here, though, as as the flying sound actually convinces McGurk that Superman is flying. McGurk says, well, I'm I'm getting out of here. I got to get out of here. <laughs> so we see some stock footage of a car going down a road. Quick right. click. Back sound stage with the one black car that they will reuse a thousand times in yeah. the next two and a half years. And it doesn't look like it has an even has an engine in it. It just slowly moves up. And Superman or George Reeves does a pretty good job of this boulder. It's a really big boulder yeah, that he, he does picks up and throws. And I think they, he did a really good job because that could have looked really hokey. Yeah. And it only looks a little hokey. Right. <laughs> but George does a pretty good job because it's a huge boulder. It's it's probably a ten foot diameter boulder. And very light. Obviously, it's styrofoam. It's right. whatever they used. I don't know what material they actually used in 1955 for it. But it's very lightweight, gray painted rock boulder that he just picks up and throws in front of the car. And McGurk has to slam on brakes and pull up the emergency brake yep. uh, to uh, stop his car. And then Superman makes a nice landing off of the ladder right off screen to give him a nice little one-liner speech a little scene so mcgurk didn't even have to get out of the car for them to do that scene that's right but i liked mcgurk i think the actor what's the actor i forgot the actor's name again billy nelson billy nelson right i shouldn't forget that name uh i like this guy i think he's a fun actor i like him when he's on these shows you know he's he's a great character whether it was the one he was in with sterling holloway the machine that could plot crimes or Oh, what was the other one? He was in the other one with the Professor Potter that could send you across uh, telephone lines. Oh, he's in that one, too? He's in that one, too. He was also uh, in the dog episode. And he's, of course, in the dog episode that you just love. I'm so glad you like that episode so much. I think that was his first, I think that was his first one. <laughs> could be. Could be. But, yeah, I, I like this actor. I think he's a fun actor. And, because Billy uh, Nelson did both of those with Ben Weldon. Yes, yes. He did that with that machine, except they were they changed roles. Yes. He was the boss in... Uh, in one and the boss... And Weldon was yeah. in the other. Yeah. They do that in a fifth season episode where one of the guys who is the boss in, like, episode four comes back in episode five as the henchman. They swat, they swip roles, switch roles. But, uh, you know, at this time, they had basically a rotating cast. Right. So, um, I, I don't have a problem with no, that. No, I don't either. I, I don't have a problem with that. It's fun. But, you know, all's well that ends well. Yeah, apparently they uh, photographed the documents, which is easy with an iPhone. But that's got to be impossible with a 1950s era camera. No, actually. Really? They had little cameras for spy. Spies used them. And there's another episode, even in the black and white episode, where Clark Kent, remember, is, is taking pictures in that evidence, whatever. He's got all these papers, and he's just going click, click, you know, or pushing this little tube thing 
it almost, you know, it looked like a little cube tube thing, silver thing, click, click, pushing it and just taking pictures after pictures. So, yeah, they could take them, but it would have been, you know, maybe a microfiche camera yeah. or something like that. still don't know if he got anything. I have no idea. We have no idea what he got or how he got it. They tell us all that off screen. All they said was and took a picture of it. So Ray did not sneak or slip any information other than the sound of the tumblers falling into place. And they got the combination from that and then got the information out of the safe. So they didn't hear it on the tape. They didn't hear Henderson's, you know, on the tape. So. So. So all that drama yeah. basically for nothing. Well, isn't that usually the case? But not usually. All in, all, not usually on TV. Right. Usually everything is there for a reason, and that that whole thing just seemed. Yes. The whole Henderson plot just kind of seemed unnecessary. The part well, where it, seemed, it seemed forced. Forced. I thought it was kind of clever. The fact that. Well, you're right. I think he was forced in one way, that they really tried to cram it down our throats that Ray could be a bad guy, even though we all knew he wasn't. Right. Why was Henderson so kind of convinced that Ray had done something wrong? Right. There was no mystery there. We all knew Ray was suckered. Yeah, we all knew. We mm-hmm. all And it was just a matter of when was Henderson going to come around. Right. And actually, Henderson should have been on the same page, too. Maybe they should have brought in another character, the police commissioner or someone else to put pressure on Henderson who didn't believe in race innocence. Well, but, as soon as Ray became involved, Henderson should have been taken off the case. Exactly. But he, you know, took himself off, but we never saw anybody else. But again, low budget, minimum cast, right. quick plot and a couple of plot holes, but they got the story out. They did. Uh, you know, all in all, a pretty typical, well, I think we're going to see, this is kind of a, well, I don't know. It's not really typical, is no, it? Not really. Uh, but, you know, in, entertaining. Yeah, definitely entertaining. There's some great Superman scenes. There are. Especially in the secret weapons lab. Especially in the secret <clears throat> with him, With him getting shot at with that steam or cold air. <laughs> whatever that whatever was. Whatever that was. That was a cool shot of him getting... Uh, right. Whatever that was. Getting sprayed with, uh, with, with that. Yeah. But it, it was much better. I had a lot more fun watching it than I thought I was going to. Just from my memory of it. I thought, wow, that's really corny and stupid, and the plot didn't hold up, and no way. And all of those things are true. All of those things are true. Plot holes, crooks doing the wrong thing. It should have been the other guy, not this one. Right. Uh, no mm-hmm. way could Ray cut those two pieces out of his whole tape thing visually. Right. Um, unless he knew on the tape where they were on the spool, uh, then he could go and come, but he wouldn't have been that accurate to just get that cannon and the echo sound. But it, it worked for the plot. The actor was a nice guy, although he looked a lot like a, a character as you'll see later and a character we've seen earlier in The Boy Who Hated Superman. Yeah, he kind of looked like him to me. Yeah, he looked a lot like him, uh, <clears throat> The Boy Who Hated Superman. But that was a typical Eddie Haskell-type look of the time period. Right. All in all, not a bad couple of episodes. No, not a, not a bad couple of episodes to kick off the color era. Yeah, yeah. There'll be some groaners. There were some groaning moments of these. But all in all, I think a very enjoyable hour in a fun way. And again, it telegraphs the fact that, yes, it's still Superman. It's still George Reeves and Noel Neal and Jack Larson, John Hamilton, Robert Shane. It's still those guys. But there's a little bit of an attitude change. Yes. Some of the stories... It'll be totally an attitude change. Other stories, it's as if they took the black and white guys, but put them in this weird 
color Wizard of Oz place. Right. There'll be some fun episodes coming up. Looking forward to it. Yep, there will. Well, next time I will be covering or watching Superman tackle Superstition in The Lucky Cat. Not a bad episode. Nope. And The Daily Planet will host Superman Week. Uh, yeah, you know, th- I watched that again today, too, when I watched this. And that's also much better than I remembered it in my brain. There are some real groaning moments, but there are some things in that episode that I'd like to know, where are they today? Right. The, the painting. There's some other things. Um, and a kryptonite episode, more or less. It calls back a little bit to uh, the defeat of Superman. Yes, it does, and uh, that's kind of cool that they do that. Right. So those are those are pretty good. And coming down the pike, uh, I think I'll be back for Great Caesar's Ghost, which will be the episode after that. Okay, cool. Two, two weeks from now. Cool, cool. So, so good stuff coming. Yeah, good def- stuff coming. It definitely is. So where can the listeners find you? They can find me over my other Superman show if I ever get to doing it again, <laughs> called the Superman Forever Radio Podcast at supermanforever.com. Well, you did post on Facebook today that you edited. Now, That's true. Now That's people, true. Now people are going to have expectations. You can find the homepage for this show at manofscreen.podomatic.com. You can send me feedback at manofscreen at gmail.com, and you can leave a review for the show on iTunes and Stitcher. So, for Bob Fisher, this is Mike Zumo. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all the opinions on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.